You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. <coughs> Excuse me, just <coughs> clearing out the COVID. Um, no. No. <laughs> Shh. Quiet, you. Where we're going, there is no COVID. Exactly, because where we're going is 2003. Yes. <laughs> oh, a simpler, happier time. A simpler, happier time. But still the latest film we've covered. Yeah, this is like a modern for us. Yes. Welcome to this century of yeah. what she's podcasting. We've brought you into the noughties. Mm-hmm. Kicking uh, and screaming. And you can really tell. <laughs> yes. And our choice is a bit weird. Is it? I don't know. It's festive. <laughs> it is festive. So this is our second of two Christmas films. I mean, it's a classic. Modern yes. classic. Hyper-contemporary for this podcast. Hyper-contemporary, but also, you know, perennial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually perennial. Actually. Actually is. It's perennial, actually. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Louise Oliver? <sighs> we are talking about a movie that is about how, for some reason, all common sense and good judgment goes out the window at Christmas time, apparently. Mm-hmm. It's actually called Love, actually. Is it? Actually Love. Actually. Actually. It's called Love, actually. That might have been our most annoying intro yet. I know. <laughs> so, where sorry. are we going with that? I feel like it's because of this film. This film makes me feel confused about my feelings. That's because everybody in it is confused about their feelings. Yeah. It always shows up in articles now for why it's problematic. So when we decided to do it, I kind of thought it was going to be almost a hate watch. Yeah, I went into it thinking it was going to be a hate watch. No, there's lots to enjoy. And I remember I remember there was a period of time, again, the simpler time, the early 2000s, when we had any education about anything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, wasn't a feminist yet, etc. Yeah. Uh, Here's 17-year-old Kira Knightley being in a situation completely not of her making. Being Hate her! Hate her! Yeah. <laughs> being married off to a man who I think is easily 10 years her senior, possibly yeah. a little bit more. I'm not sure. I'll need to uh, check what age Chiwetel Ejiofor was when he shot this, but I, I am pretty certain both he and his character were considerably yeah. older than Kira Knightley. Everybody knows this. This isn't a fact, but like there's that um, bit of information that has since circulated about the young child actor that plays Sam mm-hmm. and Kira Knightley. There's like five years of a difference between the two of them in this moment when the film was made. I'm going to find out the exact one. Do it. Do the math. I'm going to read this article from goodhousekeeping.com. <laughs> this is where we get all our source material, all of our all of our quotes and facts. Um, right, so yeah, so in this film, Keira Knightley plays Juliet, uh, and she was 18 years old when the film came out, and Thomas Brodie Sangster, who played young Sam, was 13. So they were only five years apart in age. How old was Chiwetel when he filmed this? 26. It's not horrendous, but it's not great either. I mean, she's obviously obviously not... Her character is obviously not meant to be that age. Yeah. I mean, it's never addressed because we know nothing about her apart from the fact that she has terrible taste in pie. I mean, I've got also justice for Bonoffi pie. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Bonoffi pie. It's a perfectly good pie. Um, it's not my favourite. Yeah, yeah, fair. Not my favourite pie, but I've had a nice Bonoffi pie. I think, to be honest, if the option was Bonoffi pie or no pie, I'd probably go with... I'm good, no pie. I mean, I think you can get bad banoffee pie and good banoffee pie. The trick is not to have it be too sweet. Or use it as a bribe. Or use it as a bribe. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, 
That's so, all coming out. We're doing love, actually. <laughs> first of all, my first thought is that this movie mm-hmm. is too... Hours and 20 minutes long. It's very long. And I am aware of the irony of us, or me, as part of this podcast saying this, but it has no business (laughs) being that long. The film is that long, you can expect this episode to last approximately six and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there's an equation you can do for um, I'll Have What She's Podcasting, which is to take the hours, the length of the movie, and multiply that by at least three, and that will be roughly what the podcast is. To the power of how many opinions we have. Exactly. (laughs) This movie can probably be summed up with Dating is Hard, which we talked about a lot. We did. We were in a place with that last time and we are... We Actually, it's something that comes up a lot in our podcast because we like to discuss the romance or lack of romance and things. So maybe for our Christmas present, um, our producer Chris, who already does plenty for us... <laughs> If he has time, if we can have a dating as hard jingle, I feel like at this point it will be a Christmas miracle. It will be a Christmas miracle (laughs) and one that will be very appreciated. And I think at this point we have earned it. Dating is hard. Because that is my takeaway. It's, um, it's but, bloody you know, hard. More than that, there people make it hard when people it doesn't do need it, to be. That is the thing. Namely men. Mm. Men in the early 2000s made dating hard they when did. it didn't need to be. They did. Is the message of this movie. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, you very cleverly decided that rather than going chronologically, because this is an anthology movie, another thing that I have opinions about, because actually I don't think there's enough meat on the bones for a proper anthology. I know, especially as like, it's not one of the films where you think, oh, they couldn't possibly have cut out any of these stories. Yeah. It's like, you definitely, there are at least two that you did not need. Yeah, we could have, <laughs> I could have really done without Colin the sex well, we pest. Co- yeah, well, we cover him first and just get him Let's out of the way. Let's just get him out of the way. Let's because put him clear out of the way. He's not good. He's not. This character, this storyline, I can't really remember what I must have thought about it when I was younger. I assume like most people did before they knew better, just thought it was a jolly jape but it's just I think that there was a specific sense of humour around that time it's almost specifically an early noughties thing I don't, maybe that this is just when because I was a teenager then and was becoming aware of it but I remember even being at uni and there was just this kind of in the student union sometimes it was like a culture of like men being as disgusting as possible and that house that somehow translating into charm yeah um, and I don't know if it's still the case because it's been a long time since I was a teenager or a young adult yeah <laughs> And it obviously has not aged well. Because no. it was the period of time when complaining about having been friend-zoned, mm. complaining that you had done something bare minimum nice for a woman or a girl and she hadn't had sex with you was somehow a legitimate thing that people got sympathy for, which is something that is now we know know that's yeah. not acceptable. But there was definitely a period of time in the noughties when that was a thing. Yeah, because it was just unchecked then. We didn't have yeah. the... The vocabulary to go, hang on, that's a load of shite. <laughs> yeah, it was like a step in between it being completely acceptable to be a predator. Yeah. And can you just leave the poor woman alone? Leave the <laughs> like... poor woman alone. And there's something about, it's all of that, yes, but there's also in the, something about haplessness or hopelessness yeah. for comic effect, for giving a lot of sins. Or it's like, he's like the guy in the pub that his friend would be like, oh, but you know, he would never actually do anything. Yeah, he's just a joke. He's harmless. Yeah, he's harmless. And we have to feel a little bit sorry for him because look at him, he could never get a girlfriend. And it's like, yeah, because he keeps making jokes about his giant knob and being super entitled about it and pestering women. Like, that's not something we need to feel sorry for him about. He's just a twat. Like, yeah. And, you know, we're introduced to Colin as he comes into the office delivering the sandwiches with casual sexual harassment to everybody he goes up to. Mm-hmm. 
or every woman he goes up to because I don't actually think we see him drop a sandwich off at a guy. I think he launches a sandwich at a guy on the way in and then we see him like visit each woman and make a stupid innuendo-filled joke yeah. about his nuts. Yes. I think I was trying to think about Colin and what he'd be like today and I think he'd be on Bumble and I think his dating profile would say things like, hey girls, you know you're supposed to message first, right? Lol. <laughs> And I think he would say he's fluent in sarcasm. And I think he would say he's looking for somebody who looks after herself and doesn't take herself too seriously. Yeah. I might make that. (laughs) So Chris Marshall, who plays Colin the twat, Mm -hmm. um, the thing you've just described, he does. Like like two minutes after we meet him, practically, he comes out and he sits with his long-suffering friend who, uh, who, such a non-entity other than to respond to Colin, I can't even remember his name. Is it Chris? I feel like it's Barry. Maybe it's Barry. Just made that up. It's such a shit role that actor has because all he has to do is he's in that and he's on the film set and that's like the main linking of on the film set. Yeah, and he's just repeatedly telling Colin he's a twat and rightly so. I'm I'm full team. He is right. Full team Colin's mate. Yeah, and actually that is kind of what we need the friends of twatish people because you know women can be the worst too. Just I think not necessarily in the same way usually, but that is what we need. Yeah, friends of terrible men to be doing is say, yeah, that, did you know that it's just it's just because you're terrible that character was accidentally like through no act of choice I would imagine of Richard Curtis's streaks ahead of his time yeah as being the guy who goes shut up you're you're te- you're the worst Tony Tony his name's Tony played by Abdul Salas well justice for Tony slash Abdul because yeah you were underserved and you were right yes <laughs> Because he does say, like, Colin has that stupid little monologue where he's like, it's the women's problem. Yeah, I need to go to America because the British women are stuck up and yeah. that's, they just don't understand the prize that is me. And Tony's like, yeah, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Colin has far too much screen time in this movie. Far too much. I mean, that just could have been cut. Yeah, we could have got rid of him because there's at least two other areas where we could have got more character development because I have questions about other people and their situation. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So let's wrap up Colin. Colin. He gets the happy ending that I feel like other characters in this movie deserved more of a happy ending than Colin got the lion's share. Yes, he did. I mean, Tony... A little bit as well, which is like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Tony, I think Tony would be nice to I'm Denise Richards. I, I feel also like Tony would have had no problem getting a girlfriend. No. Yeah. I don't think he needed Colin to bring him one back from America. No, I don't like think so. Like a bit so. of duty free. Like. Yes. You know, and as an American citizen, all of my female friends who are American are stunning and wonderful and very, very beautiful and, and great. But um, uh, Colin arrives at the bar in Wisconsin. It's like a central casting call in LA. It's just full mm. of like... January Bloody Jones. January Jones and uh, Alicia Cuthbert. It's a selection of the breathtaking women of the moment in terms of early 2000s rom-coms and what have you. Yeah, I mean, I think January Jones hadn't even been in that much at that point. Like, she was ages away from being Betty Draper. Yeah, so I don't understand how Colin the Red Pill incel fuckface hate him. Uh, But... You know, this that does happen in real life. You you see very, very... I don't mean this sound misandrist um, at all, but, like, you will sometimes just meet a woman and she's just, like, unbelievably clever and charming and kind and funny and beautiful. And she's occasionally drops in a complaint into conversation from this completely mediocre person that she goes out with who's not very nice to her. Mm. And it's... it's shamefully common and I'm sure it happens I mean, the other way around as well it's just well most of my friends are women so I get that side of it more I mean it's possible we're taking it too seriously because it is yeah. such a ridiculous setup. it's like a it's like a, an elaborate punchline to a stupid joke yeah it's Colin's little story 
And, you know... I think Colin is there. He's just there to give us a bit of relief when bad things are happening to people that we like. Yeah. And I think one of the other stories that does that is Jack and Judy. Again, we could have lost Jack and yeah. Judy. I mean, like, we could probably just mention them and just keep going. Because, like, this is where the anthology thing falls down with Colin and with Jack and Judy. For me, because it's like, they are there, but we don't really need them there. There's yeah. just not enough going on. And the Jack and Judy one as well, it's just like, it's the same punchline over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, but then again, seeing that when I was watching it, I was enjoying those scenes. Oh, they're great. It's very classic British humour. Uh-huh. Just like really um, polite, kind of quite yeah. meek. It's so it's People. so Richard Curtis and it's so of its time and of a moment where it's like, yeah, oh look, they're naked and they're simulating sex. Well but they're also being very polite and talking about the traffic and the weather. Yeah. <laughs> um and that's fine yeah. and I do appreciate it, but it's just like there's nothing else going on with them other than it's like it's like one of the world's funniest meat cutes. Like that's just like all yeah. it is. And just like um, maybe just like a bit of a filmmaker's joke as well. Like if you've somebody who's been like I can't think of any like really raunchy scenes in a Richard Curtis film like there's the scene where in Four Weddings and a Funeral when Hugh Grant's character gets trapped in the cupboard at one of the weddings when one of the bride and groom come in and end up having very very loud sex and that's the only one I can really think of and it is really funny but I suppose there is a thing of like this is a job that people have and what do they talk about yeah although I was wondering what on earth they're filming because yeah. it was like it's somewhere between really high budget porn and something that's ridiculously graphic. Uh-huh. Like again, I'm like, what is this? What are they making? Mm-hmm. Which made me just wonder: is this based on something that Richard Curtis saw or heard about? Or I mean, to be honest, I've always got the impression from his stuff and particularly this movie that he writes he has a bunch of really funny set pieces and gags mm-hmm. and then he knits them together like Colin insulting the caterer yeah. at the wedding that was originally in Four Weddings and a Funeral yeah, and it got, got cut. cut so I think he has bits mm-hmm. that he thinks are really good ideas are really funny and a lot of them are because I think as well one of the other things was the Prime Minister story and the Colin Firth storyline were both outlines or treatments for two individual rom-com movies that he had mm-hmm. and he just kind of got frustrated with them as individual pieces and then somewhere along the line the, the the desire or want to do an anthology came along and he was like well I've got these two ready made which yeah. I think you can tell particularly with the Prime Minister one the Prime Minister one feels like the most fleshed out Meaty, yeah. well it has the most things happen yeah, it has, stuff like, has more twists yeah. and turns but then, it's got an arc yeah <laughs> But then Jack and Judy is nice. It is like it's a nice story. And again, I think it's the purpose that this one and the Colin one save. Like I noticed when I was watching it that they tended to come in after really sad things yeah. happen to people that we love, um, who are done dirt, who are done dirty in this film. They are done real dirty. And I think it's just something to just make you feel okay about the world again. Yeah. It's just like here's like two people who've met in this silly situation, and everything actually turns out fine. They're engaged within a month. Although Jack does kind of ruin it because there's a like at the end of the film when they're all in the airport and Jack and Judy bump into Tony who mm-hmm. they knew from the film set and he's like oh hey how are you guys doing and then Judy like shows him her brand new engagement ring and then Jack says I might get a shag at last and then she's like no tea no tea well, it's like also no <laughs> no Jack there's something so tedious about men who make jokes at their significant other's expense in that way. And just the constant, like, grappling that women have to do about being 
somehow having been cast as like the gatekeepers of sex. Yeah. And like, oh, like these are the hoops that you must. Well, it's like the friend zoning things as well. It's like, oh, here's a hoop. To, like, if, as long as you tick the right boxes and complete the quests we've set you, at the end, yes, you will get this thing. And that's not. Yeah. It's neither romantic nor is it sexy. No. But it's frightfully British. <laughs> frightfully British. And it was very funny in 2003, but I think it's a very 2003 joke. Yeah. It's, it's low hanging fruit. Because um, I think the early the noughties was a dark time for feminism. <laughs> Not for feminism, for the patriarchy. Fem- yeah. It wasn't feminism's fault. No. Well, we, we were all in a weird place. <laughs> I mean, I think it's odd. I look back on the, the early noughties as a kind of like... I don't really think I kind of... The penny dropped for me as a, an intelligent thinking adult until I really hit my late 20s, early 30s. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the early 2000s were this weird moment of things like sex in the city and we were living our independent lives and and we wanted to be cool girls. Mm-hmm. All of that was happening while at the same time we were still absolutely under the thumb of the patriarchy and yeah. that kind of like uh, making allowances for guys like Colin and... yeah. And either being yeah. oblivious to or making excuses for really fucked up behaviour. Um, totally. It was about fitting in. It was like the ladette thing mm-hmm. and like you said, like the cool girl thing. Like, oh, I'm not like other girls. You know, like I just don't really like, girls just don't really like me. And a lot of the way that we were being told or like conditioned to behave was not about like women supporting women. It was about oh, yeah. women fitting into. And I think that was the thing in the 80s as well when women started getting more corporate jobs was about women fitting into a man's world world and that sometimes necessitated behaving more like men or reconciling yourself to the idea that the way that the men are behaving is the right way and we just need to, that's what we need to be adapting to as opposed to changing it to suit everyone and, and I calling think, um, out the toxic bits and the exclusionary bits yeah i mean it's very cringy i, I look back on a, a lot of the things that or the way that my mind used to work about certain things and you know I cringe deeply yeah. a deep deep Same. cringe that's also you know there's not really the one I think I make this in my notes towards the end the one truly loving relationship that doesn't get featured is the love that can exist between female friends yeah we get platonic male love through Bill Nighy and Gregor Fisher's storyline so yeah Joe and Billy Mac yeah so that's that's the sort of platonic love story but yeah uh, and even it. then it's very like oh but we're not gay though no gay though yeah let's watch some porn yeah <laughs> not gay but. like don't get confused yeah <laughs> while we're on it like we start to go on to the kira knightley andrew lincoln show to edgio for let's do that because one of the first things we got the wedding oh but- wait can before we move off i just um feel like this is the moment to introduce a clanging sound effect because this movie has lots of clangers. Oh, and yeah. before we move away from Jack and Judy, poor Judy has such a clanger. She has that horrible line oh, on, the, on yeah. the doorstep. All I want for Christmas is you. I can't handle it. Every time she says it, it's just like, I can tell that the actress is uncomfortable because <laughs> it is just the yeah. most cringy line. I hate it line. so much. It's such a clanger. It um, is. However, I don't I don't think it's not in keeping with her character. because there character? Because there are, I, the thin, thin, <laughs> sheer character that she has. So in my mind, Judy's character, you know, I mean, this is not to diss anybody who likes these things, but is like super into Disney, really likes those greeting cards with like the little fuzzy bears on them for Mother's Day would buy 
her mum like one of the Mother's Day cards with like the poem inside. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like that, this is I'm I genuinely don't mean any shade to it. It's not they're not things for me, but there are people there are cheesy things that exist in the world and You're like not cheesy that lines. Girl. I'm not, I'm a cool girl. You're a cool girl. <laughs> Those girls don't really like me. Um, no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> that's not what I mean. I'm trying to stick up for this. I just think it's a clanger of a line. It is a clanger of a line. But I don't think it's a clanger of a line that nobody would necessarily say. And I think if a real person said it, if they were a two-dimensional person, <laughs> no, no, because pe- and but that's not to say I am tying myself in a knot here. That's not to say that. People There's who like those things are, are are not are not deeper anything. It's yeah. just some people really like cheese, the, the cheese, and I think there's nothing wrong with like no, that's nothing, nothing wrong with that. that. And I think sometimes if you really like that kind of stuff, maybe you would say something awful. It's like <laughs> I I'm having a feeling for you, and I don't know how to express it, so I'm going to quote Mariah Carey. Fair. Fair, as opposed to like Tom Waits. Sure. <laughs> That would be a clanger as well, but just in a different way. You would both be clangers. I don't do, I don't do that you either. I, I try and use my own words. <laughs> We've all got clanger potential in us. I would quote Buffy. So, you know, here we are. Well, here we are. Um, so, sweet little Joanna Page. And, we, and the, the key and, is and that Judy. we just, we're all women and we all support each other. Yeah. Uh, so, moving on from Jack and Judy. Colin's been uh, fired in at the sun. Jack and Judy are... Uh, <laughs> On holiday. And now we come to Andrew, Kira and Chuetel. Yeah, Mark, Juliet and Peter. So we meet them all at Peter and Juliet's wedding. And that's another all frightfully British moment of uh, transphobia. Oh my gosh, yeah. Prostitution. All very funny. <laughs> all good, wholesome, funny. fun British boys on a stag. Oh, yes. Again, making it very, very clear that neither of them wants to have sex with men. Very Mm-mm. important. Mm-mm. Very important. There's any takeaway that Richard Curtis so. wants us to have is that the men are men yeah. and there will be no bum sex. So tedious. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say, even if they are like casually joking in a mildly transphobic way and being kind of rude about sex workers, yeah. Chuetel and Andrew Lincoln, they're dreamy. They're both absolute dreamboats. They're both the actors. Handsome. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Like, yeah. you would. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Both of them, happily. Yes. And Keira Knightley looks lovely too. Keira Knightley looks lovely, but she's a child. So she is a child. <laughs> barely old enough to have a drink at her own wedding. I know. But she does look quite pretty. Uh, yeah, we'll come to that. She's, um, she does look nice. I like her wedding dress, actually. She's, it's very delicate and English rose and, and floaty and pretty. Yeah, she looks good. Mm-hmm. So they have that whole thing where they leave the church and all that stuff. But at the wedding reception, he's like staring at the two of them having a dance. Whilst and, filming uh, them. Then we have another, I'm definitely not gay moment, because that would be unacceptable and weird, like what is actually going on when Laura Linney comes over and asks if he's in love with his friend Peter. Do we think she knows I, I have, I have a, a genuine question because I mm-hmm. think the way this is framed is really interesting because when she goes do you love him? Uh-huh. She, she sits down next to him and says do you love him? Because mm-hmm. she's seeing that he is just staring at the pair of them. Mm-hmm. In the 2000s world where men are men in a Richard Curtis film I feel like her default wouldn't have been to say do you love him? So I wonder if she says it she goes with him because actually it might be less awkward. Do you know what I mean? Because actually if she says, do you love her? That's a bigger problem, actually. <laughs> no, because I think him, I think because the way she says it, he's just like, what? And she's like, well, I just thought maybe you wanted to talk about it, but wouldn't want to bring it up. So I just thought maybe if you needed to talk about it, we could talk yeah. about it. I'll so, ask the direct question. Yeah, because she's not being judgmental. No, she's not being judgmental um, at all. I just feel like... I don't think she does know. No, I think you're probably right. Now that I've said that question out loud, I just sort of feel like, actually, she's being very astute, but the really astute thing 
is actually to not outright say, do you love the woman who your friend has just married? Yeah. Because that's an actu- that's actually a more awkward question. It is a more awkward question, but actually what I wish they had done in this film was make her say, are you in love with her? And he'd be like, oh, actually, yeah. But then it turns <laughs> out he actually is in love with Peter. And then that the would exact be same thing plays through exactly in this exact same exact way. same way. Like with the cards and everything. Oh, I think that would have been really cool. That would have been lovely. It, it, it changes the tone of it entirely. It changes the tone, and, but even like to the point of like, and then Peter would run after him and give him a kiss and then run back. Like, I think actually there would be something. There's something even more. When I say it changes the tone, it makes it more beautiful because I don't actually yeah. think it's that beautiful the way it no. pans out. No. I have thoughts about everybody's choices and I have questions. But if it was with Peter, because they have a long standing relationship and Peter's straight, yeah. he could just like, oh, he could be like. <laughs> Okay, I now know how you feel about me. We're going to work through this together. But, but you know, I still love you. Because it lets you know that I still love you. Even or though, you could have like, given him, if it's Richard Kurt, like you could just give him a big manly hug. I would, I would love the smooch. I would love the smooch. I would love the smooch. I yeah. love the smooch, but like, I, I, even a, just a I still love you man yeah. would have been cool. Also, it would have brought in some representation to a love story that was not white or oh, straight. That would be so great. That is the dream. Because yeah. there were actually two storylines that were cut from Love Actually one of which involved the headmistress at the school that all the kids go to, so like Emma Thompson's kids and Martin McCutcheon's wee brother. And it's like Emma Thompson's wee boy gets into trouble at school and then it follows the headmistress home and her girlfriend or her her wife is ill and like dies. And like so there's like a little storyline about them that got cut. Oh, unbury your gaze. I'm glad that got cut. Mm. That's a that's a whole like Oh okay. Yeah. That's interesting actually. If you had the queer love story and then one of them dies. Kill them. Yeah. That says that sends a whole other message. Mm, that, well, yeah. But some LGBT representation might have been nice as opposed oh, to just oh, lots for of sure. men oh, yeah, no, that would be vociferously that they have feelings about their friends. Yeah, like what you've just described yeah. is like a gender swapping, the love triangle would have been genius. Would have been, it would have I think be- it would have been, been beautiful. Because um, like, there, you know, I have questions because there's ways in which you could have kept the gender dynamic as it is and brought more poignancy to it. But in order to do that, we need to understand who these people are, particularly yeah. Keira Knightley, and who yeah. they are to one another. Yeah. Because at the moment, I'm a bit like, what is happening here? Because if without all the information, all it serves to do is make Andrew Lincoln come off as really emotionally unstable. <laughs> Because, and the reason for that is, because I know I have some sympathy for Andrew Lincoln's situation, because, okay, you fall in love with your best mate's partner, male or female, non-binary, whatever. Like, why? That's a tough situation. That's a tough situation. Yeah. But yes, exactly. Why? Because like, she has the line of, like, when she figures it out, she's like, but you never talked to me. You never talked to me. I think he met her, said, you have to meet my best friend. Here's Juliet. I think there would have been, uh, like, Mark becomes super standoffish almost immediately. Yeah. And then, he's and then just backs off. Desperately in love with her. Like it's more, it's not a yeah. crush. He's yeah. devastatingly, life ruiningly in love with her. Yeah, <laughs> like, but we don't know anything that's happened. We don't know what their dinner parties have looked like. We don't yeah. know like how much the time like Peter's spent trying to get them to bond. Or any I want. Of that. I, I want. Yeah. I'm like the nosy part of me is like the drama loving part of me is like I want all that. I want, I want to know how this. How did yeah. you get here? Like to the point where you can't even look at this woman. Yeah. Like when she turns up with the Bonoffi pie for the extra video footage, he is like I can't even function around you but I think it's also guilt isn't it yeah 100% yeah but that's that's what I mean it's like he's he's in love with her yeah so it's a combination of that and the guilt do you think he's in love with her or do you think he's obsessed with her well that's the question 
isn't it? Because it's a very key question. Those are very I think. different things. Those are very different things. And I think, um, yeah, I think he is obsessed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is more like, cause, because because he doesn't again, know her. He doesn't know her. Yeah, that's the thing. It's he's like obsessed it with her the way that randos are obsessed with Kira Knightley. Yeah, he's a, he's in love with an idea of a person. Mm-hmm. He has to be because again, like, well, again, we don't know because it's it's an underserved story for that reason. Mm-hmm. All building up to the cards thing, which is again, this supports my argument that Richard Curtis writes in really lovely set pieces. Yeah, <laughs> and then tries to knit them together because. The card thing, one of the most iconic things in this movie. Yeah. It's sort of romantic, but also kind of awkward. It's just... I don't know. I mean, but again, like, when I watch it, honestly, I don't hate it. I, I appreciate don't that it's problematic, it. but I don't... I'm not even sure I would use the word I'm, problematic. I... I don't know if it's... I, it's just a bit... I don't think it's unproblematic. Yeah, it's not... That's probably the better way of putting it. <laughs> I wish we had a word Which for that. Which does mean problematic, so it's a double negative, isn't it? Oh. I suppose you're right. But how is it problematic? No, okay. I'm not genuinely asking that question. I'm sort of positing it so that we can Well, no, I think it. It, maybe it would be useful to articulate why it's problematic. Yeah. It's problematic because largely for the reasons we've said, he isn't in love with her, he's obsessed with her. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you couldn't make an argument that there's an element of sweetness to it, but because we don't know enough about them, we don't know if he's dangerous. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> So that's yeah, which, which maybe is, is why like, maybe that, which is maybe a point in that it's not unproblematic, Colin, because we don't know enough about it to know exactly where it sits in that yeah. spectrum. Because, dear reader, whether or not he's dangerous is something we must always concern ourselves. <laughs> Unfortunately. All of this also, again is helped by the fact that Andrew Lincoln, as an actor and presence, is just delicious he is great and he is very charming i think that's something that happens in this film there are women in this film that are hated who do very little and men who are liked who don't necessarily deserve to be liked all the time but their performances are just so charming and their words are so charming they get these great things to do these great romantic gestures but at the same time one of the things that bothers me about it if this were to happen in real life with people that exist and are three-dimensional is that he is creating a secret that she has from her husband and I don't think that that is generally a fair thing to do if that's not a person that you are individually friends with. Mm. Like it's different if I like say, well, I mean, I have no secrets from you or or the cutie in the booth, Chris. <laughs> but like, if I was to tell you something in confidence and be like, look, can you just like keep this between me and you? That's one thing. But if I were to tell Chris I was in love with him, I think that's pretty out of order. <laughs> I mean, like when you create, it's a, it's I'd a burden. Well, yeah, I think if I, was, yeah. if I was in love with Chris, I'd tell you because you're cool. <laughs> just like, so you know. I can't come over anymore. But I'm not. I'm not. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm not yeah there's something really interesting in that because it's like you just have to manage your own feelings mm, this is so interesting yeah you're right she, he's kind of without her consent he's basically forced her into this agreement uh-huh it's an intimacy yeah except he, oh this is this is interesting this is making my, my wee brain do backflips he does sort of <laughs> owe her an explanation uh-huh and there is something to be said for not blowing up his friendship with Peter. But then the question then remains, like, could could they not all be sensible adults about this? Could he not have just been like, Peter, I need to meet you for a pint. We have to have a chat. Yeah. And like, look, man, I'm so sorry. This has happened. I feel just awful about it. I'm, I really don't want to feel this way, but I do. Yeah. Maybe I just need to not see you guys for a while. Yeah. But I don't want you to think it's because 
I don't like love yeah. you, man. Like, yeah, I yeah. want to preserve my friendship with you. It's really important. I need to be honest with you. I don't want to keep being a dick to your wife. Yeah, because that's going to been... eventually alienate both of you. Yeah, because yeah. like there is like we do get enough information to know that Peter knows something. He because he says be nice, be friendly. Yeah, he does say that on the yeah. phone when um, he's got her on the other line to chat to him. Well, and um, he's obviously had to phone him to be like because like would he not. Would he not have picked up if it was just Juliet? Like he's, yeah, this he's is had to like thing, soften yeah. him up because he's or cornered she, him even. Like, or like you're on the she phone doesn't to me want and to I've... cold call him. Yeah, because she's like he fucking, he hates, fucking me. hates me. So there's something interesting, and in again, it's maybe we don't need to spend too much time unpacking this because it's an anthology and it's been sketched out. No, but like, I think this has. But people unpack this particular storyline. I think oh, most. Yeah, yeah, it's up there. It's like it's the second or third most iconic bit. Yeah. In fact, I'd argue the cards, the cards thing is probably... I think it's the most parodied bit. Yeah, the most iconic parodied bit of the movie. And I think it's sort of like, I wonder, does does he owe her that, though, as well? Like, is it one of those things? This is why I've been a a dick to you. Yeah, I think there is that as well. No, you're right. Maybe that is why we say it's not unproblematic as opposed to it's it's on the scale of problematic and we don't know... Yeah, I actually, I'm going to stick with what I originally said. It's on the scale of problematic, but we don't know how high because we don't know if he's dangerous. (laughs) On indeed their background. Because if he has really spent absolutely no time with her and he is that... That obsessed. ...quote unquote in love. Yeah. Read obsessed. Yeah. Then that is high up. Yeah, it's really high, high up. Big old red flags. On that on that old scale. Yeah. And, you know, the signs are nice and everything, but yeah, I think what you said, like he'd have been better to have approached Peter and be like, this yeah. is the situation because now she has a secret from him. And the way that women are done pretty dirty in this 2003 London, I feel like if Peter found out, Juliet would get the blame. Yeah. Um, and poor Keira Knightley was hated at this time yeah. in the public eye. Like all of the kind of not so great elements of the story were just entirely taken out on this 18 year old mm-hmm. who had been famous for five minutes off the back of Bend It Like Beckham. And, you know, she was really a victim of that thing that happened, still happens, but the early 2000s were really, really particularly bad for just ripping down women completely mercilessly and, like, surgically eviscerating them publicly. There were actresses that people hated for reasons that they couldn't quite identify. I didn't ever have any ire for Keira Knightley. I think my version of it was Natalie Portman, which I now feel terrible for, even though Natalie Portman never knew. And I hope, if you're listening to this, Natalie, I I don't feel that way now, and I'm very sorry I did. Like... (sighs) You know, but that just kind of like, oh, I just think she seems a bit smug or like, I can't put my finger on it. I just don't like her. Like that yeah. kind of. And um, Jamila Jamil has a really good highlight on her Instagram about how media kind of, it like saturates the male sidebar of shame and all that stuff. But it really, like there'll be loads of stuff on, now it'd be like YouTube or interviews and junkets and stuff of actually saying things and you just see so much of it that people start to hate them it happened to Anne Hathaway Jennifer Lawrence more recently yeah so it's still the point where Jennifer Lawrence made an active decision around a lot of it yeah I think Emma Stone was another one yeah you're introduced to someone be like aren't they funny and charming and beautiful and then you're just like battered and battered and battered with specific tidbits of things that they say or do and then people get sick of them or you know it was like oh she repeated a joke on Graham Norton when she was talking to like Stephen Colbert yeah 
you know, say something interesting, J-Law. Yeah. Whereas, you know, she's having the same conversation 57 times a day. So... Yeah, and anyway, it just was, doesn't happen with the men. Yeah, it just um, doesn't, yeah. No, you're totally right. That was a bit of a rant off yeah, the back it was. of you talking about... <laughs> but I liked it. Um, it's thrown me. I don't know where yeah, we are now, no, but I, think, I, think I didn't really like there, it. <laughs> we got there from, should Mark have talked to Peter rather than talk to yes. Juliet? And did he owe Juliet an explanation? And he absolutely did. He owed them both an explanation. I think he owed them both. I still don't know how I feel about what the best way to handle that is. Because actually... Again, without all the information, I can't vilify Mark too much. If we, we go for lines... the read that he actually has spent a lot of time in her company and does love her. Yeah. And isn't dangerous. And I, I would like it to be that. I don't get the impression he's dangerous, but equally like... I don't think Richard Curtis's no, there's nobody... intention is that he's dangerous. No, he's not. But the, the thing is, is actually, if you take the fuzzy, festive, love actually Richard Curtis filter off of this situation, like, can you imagine how awkward it would be if you were her in that situation and you go around and you look at the footage and you suddenly realise yeah. he's filmed just you the entire yeah. time at the wedding thank god they had somebody else because if it had been solely his responsibility oh my gosh but you'd also, be so mad but I just yeah and there's all the whole thing is like what was he even doing with the tape and why did he not why? just label it something else you know what they should have done they should have had it be that he was in love with Peter but it was still Juliet that found out Juliet comes over watches the video sees it's all Peter yeah and actually what happens and this would have been very very sad but quite sweet would have been he shows up needs to speak to Juliet and has cards but the cards are just like sorry I've been a dick to you yeah <laughs> like I'm really struggling with a lot of yeah well no but then that just means I don't know maybe it's that glorifying men having to stay in the closet if they don't want to it's so difficult it's a really difficult situation I can't situation. rewrite this quite yet, can, we can't rewrite we it we also something. can't like there is probably no easy or simple or formulaic way to handle yeah being in love with someone you shouldn't be in love with that's why there's so many songs about it yeah, and I guess like he does walk away and he's just like, enough now. Enough so now. he does draw a line under it and he's like, yeah. okay, I'll just not be in love with her, which he could have just done. Although he does say, I will love you something. until pretty much he basically says, I I'll love you. Heart to will love you until you are dead. Dead in the ground, yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, in, two, in 2000, 2002, 2003, me might have thought that was romantic, but yeah. 2021, me kind of, it breaks my heart a little bit for both of them. In they some just would have done it just like, yeah. uh, well, it breaks my heart in a sort of awkward way. I'm sort of like, Okay, we really need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. like, I would love you to love me platonically so that we can all be friends. Like, if you're going to continue to be in love with me, then then that's going to be a problem. And I can't, <laughs> I also can't wave a magic wand and stop you feeling your feelings. Yeah. Like I say, I have empathy for Mark in this. It's just all so fucking complicated and messy. It just feels very avoidable. <laughs> it does feel very avoidable. Like, it just, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if we put him low down in the problematic scale because he has made his awkward situation her awkward situation, I think. Mm -hmm. But he's not dangerous because he's been written by Richard Curtis and I don't think that's the intention behind the character. No. However, what could be dangerous is if someone is obsessed with someone and then thinks that this is the acceptable way to deal with that. Yeah. That's what's Or that this is the grand gesture that is maybe like, well, she knows now, so I'll just shoot my shot. Yeah. And then dot, 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 how does that pan out when that doesn't work? Yes. And, you know, we get that, that. I think that button for Andrew Lincoln and the way he delivers that enough, enough now. Like, it feels very final. Yeah, he hates that he feels that way. Oh, God, he does hate yeah. Like, we get that whole scene with Dido. Yes. <laughs> He's accompanied by Dido around oh London gosh. as he has a real moment with his feels. such a 2003 scene. Yeah. 
Really scares a poor Christmas shopper. Yeah, with his really, really ugly jumper. Oh, it's a terrible that jumper. That jumper is one of the worst jumpers oh, I can imagine. That's what that's what a man who doesn't know what to do with his feelings wears. That's the jumper of a man who is confused <laughs> and if he if and Peter met Juliet at the same time, maybe Peter was just wearing a better jumper. Although Juliet has is not free from like criminal charges here with that hat. I'm sorry. I'm sure I saw that she it was like an interview or something. She said that she had a big spot in her head. All right. Because she's a teenager. She's a teenager. Yeah. She was actually 17 when she was She's literally just hit puberty. She's yeah. having a problem. Okay, I mean, I guess we can draw a line under Peter, Juliet and Mark. But That's I sort feelings. of feel... Oh, yeah. except I have one question for you. How do you feel about the kiss when she runs out and gives him a quick peck? How do you feel about that? Um, bearing in mind everything we've said above, I actually feel fine with it. Yeah, because I think it for me it doesn't indicate that you know that's the start of an affair. I think that is just like I guess her being like, "Thanks, that was lovely." She's probably just really glad he doesn't hate her. Yeah, it feels very like she needs to go process that, but mm-hmm. it sort of feels like, do you know what? She doesn't want him to feel shit yeah. about it, or like she doesn't want him to go home, go to sleep, wake up, and be like, "What did I do?" Yeah. So I think the kiss is not her trying to give him false hope or anything like that. It's just her being like don't have the fear tomorrow <laughs> yeah it's a quick peck that says you're still in our lives it's like a kind yeah. of like this will be okay this will be okay and yeah. I care about you and I've wanted to be your friend this whole time yeah in some ways this is a relief to know mm-hmm. because at some point after Christmas we can talk all this out yeah because she's clearly like when she's at his house she's clearly just you know we've never really clicked or we've never really been close and I really hope that can change yeah. and like I just want to be your friend it's so earnest and it's so nice and I know that it's a speech that annoys people but I actually always thought it was really nice I like thing. it yeah, She's yeah. Like, I'm nice. there's nothing about her that annoys me in this really yeah. like apart from that hat and you know the hat is terrible but again That's... 2003 that hat was everybody about was, everybody was committing crimes all over fashion the place fashion in the noughties was the worst it was the most chaotic it's ever been it, yeah that's what happened when we flipped over it wasn't the computers and stuff that were going to go crazy it was like fashion just lost yeah. its mind let's wear ties as belts and, and dresses over jeans and. but if you're wearing jeans they have to stop at the most unflattering part of 98.5% of women's hips. Horrific. And we're also going to have like the absolute weirdest attitude to what your weight should be. Uh, which actually possibly brings us on to our next one. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> segue. of weight. Speaking of and really the early 2000s weird attitudes, to attitudes towards weight. The other storyline that has a bit of meat on its bones, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> a perfectly healthy amount of meat on its bones. A perfectly healthy amount of meat on its bones is the Prime Minister and Martine McCutcheon. Yeah. Or Hugh Grant and Martine McCutcheon. David and Natalie. David and Natalie. I like this. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I don't think there's much problematic going on here apart from the constant, constant. weight bashing of yeah. what I think might be Martine McCutcheon at her slimmest. And she's... And she's looking. Gorgeous. She looks stunning in this movie. She look. I think it's the best she's ever looked in she's, this movie. She looks yeah. gorgeous. This is peak Martine McCutcheon. This was before she had problems with her mental health and physical health. I think this was before she did My Fair Lady, which yeah. really broke her because it's really like you know doing eight shows a day in the West End, really grueling. Mm-hmm. She had a hard time. Martine McCutcheon had a really hard time. Yeah. She deserves all of our love and care. But this was peak her. This was her at the top of her game. Would you say that this was her moment? <laughs> I would. <laughs> and I love you. But not in a gay way. Um, uh, yeah, she looks great. She looks fucking great. I love great. you ambiguously. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I don't. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to queer bait like that. But um, <laughs> problematic. I do. I love you platonically, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. deeply. But deeply. Yes, Marcy McCutcheon is wonderful in this. Um, Richard Curtis wrote this with her in mind to the point where the, he actually kept referring to the character as Martine. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. It's... But also makes it so weird the extent to which they refer to her weight in this. Is it like, did Richard Curtis think Martine McCutcheon was really attractive, but is this like a kind of an apologetic way of being like... Yeah. It was a period of, like going back to Keira Knightley, it was a period of like the peak size zero Yeah, it was the Kate thing. Moss, yeah, yeah. Uh, what they called heroin chic. The heroin chic thing. thing yeah. And, you know, and and Kira Knightley is incredibly slim. Well, she's real thin, but I think Kira Knightley's a child. She's a child. <laughs> yeah. And also, some people just are that shape. Yeah. Absolutely. Some people just are, and that's their healthy weight. And like, just because all of our bodies are different, because we all come from different mm-hmm. people. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. I wonder why he's got this character that is a specific person in mind, but keeps referring to her weight. Because there are so many references to it, it's it's practically a character trait. It's an important character trait of hers. Yeah, there's like this thing where I wonder, like she's so obviously not fat mm. that it's almost like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the audience. Like we know she's stunning, so we're just. I think it might be that she's supposed to be the every woman. She's a Bridget Jones. Yeah. So she's you know because like she's like the chubby girl the chubby working class girl yeah yeah but you are rooting for her yeah so hard and you know and she's also not like you know like she messes up on her first day like she swears the prime minister and like one of my favorite bits actually the film is that when she swears it when he first comes into number 10 and then he like looks back at her after she said shit and then he was like oh no I was gonna fuck up my first day or whatever and then she's mortified he thinks she's amazing walks away looks back they've had a wonderful little meet cute but she's really upset and like pat the housekeeper <laughs> did you hear what I said and yeah pat's like yes <laughs> yes we did <laughs> But also, like, they're there. Yeah. But it's that kind of, I think, like, most women, if you're lucky, look more like Martin McGutchin than you do, like, Keira Knightley. <laughs> it's like most women are, particularly in the early 2000s, self-conscious about their thighs. Yeah. And wonder if their bum looks big and things. And that's, like, it was a, such a refrain of that period of time that I think we're only maybe starting to unlearn now. And who knows how long that'll last. No, we're, we're, I think we're only at the very beginning of the journey of unlearning yeah. that. Like, I'm still plagued by it. Like Yeah, same. And it's because like, we were we were those were very formative years for us, yeah, and we internalized all this stuff. Programming this bone deep, yeah. very hard to unlearn. But now, if you have a rom com and two thousand and three, Martin McCutcheon was the leading lady, there would be nothing absurdist about it. Yeah. There would be nothing. You would just be like, uh huh. Two thousand and three, <laughs> Martin McCutcheon looks like a Disney princess. She's so beautiful. She, she looks is pretty. stunning. She's very, and she's very clearly beautiful. like you see her in profile. She's like a size ten, if that. Like yeah. she's not chubby. It's it's almost like gaslighty levels of in-joke. Yeah. It's like, she's not. And the, but, the, yeah. like, and that's why it makes me think that that's what they're doing. It's like this gag. Or maybe it's like we see her through the lens the Prime Minister sees her through or something like that because like, she's so obviously not that the joke becomes that they're constantly making references of weight on a person who carries no weight. <laughs> or like that kind of like really toxic body shaming mm-hmm. is has infected like some people in this world but not others so like yeah. she makes reference like she's talking to David and saying like her boyfriend says nobody would fancy somebody with thighs the size of tree trunks and he quite rightly offers to have him killed and <laughs> which is just I think that's lovely and then his kind of like aide 
comes in and refers to her as a chubby girl, which yeah. is just what so the fuck, uncalled Annie? for. What the fuck? But it does give him a chance to be like, will we call her chubby? Because he's the only person in the whole film who's like, what are you people talking about? Yeah. So there could be that, but I think there's an element of writing her like that that is maybe just like for a woman in 2003 watching it to be like, oh, she's just like me and like she mm. wins. Yeah. So she's an every woman. Except it's confusing because to look at her... She's not. She's not. <laughs> So no, it's confusing. <laughs> it's confusing, and it leaves me feeling like, well, if she's chubby, then I'm a planet. So no, like, well, well, what, do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like I'm confused. She it's, is an unrealistic beauty standard. It's but yeah, they're it's kind of the saying thing, that the she's not good enough. Stupid, and it's just yeah. it's like it's. We touched on this in Batman Returns. It was just a, it was a joke at the time. It's like women panicking about their weight. Yeah, the way weight was discussed in the noughties, it'd be interesting to know like what our mothers thought about their bodies and when that formed, because maybe just everybody has it completely driven into the head at the period when they're maybe between like fourteen and twenty, yeah. what you're supposed to look like, and that for us, unfortunately, it was size zero. Yeah, and I I think we 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 don't sometimes realise or we didn't realise in the moments some of the ways that that was being reinforced for us, even by. People people who love us yeah to the point people don't remember i don't know even just like well like i lost weight over lockdown and i went into work for the first time. i went to the office for the first time and somebody i don't know very well i was like oh hey like i almost didn't recognize you there and i was like oh yeah you know like got new specs <laughs> she's like no you've lost a lot of weight i was like all right <laughs> yeah i'm sorry that i don't like, th- i just don't think there's any way to mention somebody's body size without just, it just especially if it's comparative to the way you've looked before like yeah. did, what did you think I looked like shit like, exactly like you do look great and I have other friends who've lost weight or have gone on a journey with weight loss and fitness but I won't comment on it no I won't say you look great and I feel sometimes bad about that because I know that maybe for some people that's the goal but I'm also like I am not going to reinforce that you in any way looked bad or you weren't worth as much were, then you weren't as you worthy are now. before like yeah. I thought you were beautiful beautiful before I think you're beautiful now yeah and your value in this world is not related to, related to your the size of your body. Yeah, your um, volume. Yeah, yeah. It's it's ridiculous and arbitrary and, and really dehumanizing. But and to also say it like you've like like but, it's, she, it's but like it would have been meant remarkable. as a compliment. It would have been meant oh, as like oh, it's a, always meant as a compliment because that's what yeah. society has taught us that to say you have reduced your body mass, therefore well done. Yeah, you have more value now. You yeah. have more status now. But then it's, it will also be like internalized as well for like. You know, it can be like followed up by like somebody in my family had commented on it as well, being like, So, what have you just like been really strict with your diet? I'm like, No, just. It's really. It's, it's been like a it's, year and a half. It's not like it wasn't a. Anyway, it doesn't it's matter. It's also not easy. That's the other thing. Like, yeah, like a year. It's important to reference the fact that it's yeah. been a year and a half. It's been a year and a half of. Of just consistency. A, a bit of a lifestyle change, which was really much more about my mental health and my physical health. Yeah, but also it's not like. a Actually, this is not what this podcast is about. But, but isn't it funny? We can't... like There's really two hard. women talking yeah. about how women are represented in film. This has taken up some time. And even when we tried to get off it, we got back on it. Yeah. So all of that is to say that this stuff is insidious to a degree that it's yeah. hard to flush out of your system. Yeah, the way they um, talk about Marty McCutcheon in this film has arguably ruined Louise and I. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> like, it's, well, we're still talking about it and feeling it 10 years on or however, yeah. however long it's been. How long has it been? More than 10. No, wait, hang oh, on. Oh, Louise. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> yes, 10 in years. In my head. In my head. 2002. <laughs> <laughs> That's only ten years ago. 
When did I do this last? When did I shock myself last? You got very angry with me for pointing out how long ago Hocus Pocus came out. Okay, so... um, Give Louise a minute. She's feeling attacked uh, by herself. I am. Anywho, so Hugh Grant is the Prime Minister. What a joy. What a joy that is. Yeah, he is good. I like Hugh Grant a lot. I know he's had his controversies, but I, I like him a lot. I think he's one of the good guys. Yeah, I think so. I like him. I like him. And you know what he does in his private life is his own damn business. As long as the exchange was... Respectful, respectful, consensual, consensual, uh, which I dare say it is because there's, there's nothing really been explosive emerged that it was. And I has think, there? I think Divine Brown has done reasonably well out of interviews about it and stuff. Yeah, and he he takes it on the chin. He doesn't seem ashamed of it in any particular. Yeah, I think he's probably just. It was a long time ago now. It was a long Had, time ago, and I think he, yeah. he's, he jokes about it. I've seen him joke about it. Like, uh, so he and Emma Thompson are brother and sister in this, but this is the second film they've been in together because they were in Sense and Sensibility. Mm, yes, for which Emma Thompson won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. And there's a book that I have that one of our good friends gave to me for my birthday, I think, last year. And it's, like, the screenplay. Oh, yes, you've told me about and, this. Um, but also it's, like, the diaries that she kept mm-hmm. while she was filming. And uh, Hugh Grant was in that film and he came into it off the back of Four Weddings and a Funeral. So he was just, like, super famous. When all of that blew up, when that happened, it was kind of when they were wrapping up filming. So there's, like, a bit in her diary about Hughie seems to have got into a bit of bother in LA. Something about a blowjob. All right for some, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Have written to him. My high regard for Hugh Grant is largely because I think Emma Thompson really likes him and I don't think she would yeah. if he was nefarious. I've never got deeply problematic vibes off Mm-mm. of Hugh Grant. I think my understanding, and I've heard him talk about this quite candidly on a couple of podcasts, he will say himself he got really famous really fast with no real desire for uh-huh. that and didn't handle it all that well. He said himself, not in like a, oh, woe is me, I was having issues and you need to petty me, just more like, fuck, is this 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 living really Yeah, uh and I'm a human and I took a bunch of coke and made a bunch of mistakes. And And I learned um, from them, Yeah, which is really all we ask from people. Exactly, and he he seems like quite a respectful dude and he's been pretty integral in in certain things that are important, like bringing down the news of the world and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I like you, Grant, and I... As the Prime Minister in this, I'm like, yeah, I vote for that guy. Yeah. 100%. I mean, yeah, he does what is the right thing to do. And I was thinking about the fact that, like, you know, he's being very, very cooperative with President Billy Bob Thornton. Sneaky, sleek it President Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. And kind of looks like he's just sort of going to let himself be walked all over until Billy Bob Thornton, I mean, really kind of, like, very inappropriately fires into Natalie. And I think there are maybe, like, a couple of ways to read it because... I think a really simplistic way to read it is that, oh, I was just going to let him have what he wants, but now he's fired into the girl I fancy, so I'm in the huff. But I don't want to read it that way. I want to read it in that, like, oh, actually, you've got terrible character. And the idea as well, when he walks into the room and sees them together, she's clearly not into it. She's like, she's like stiff as a board, Mm -hmm. do not escalate, fight or flight stance almost. She is not participating in no, that. No, no, he's, he's, it's an example of a horrific abuse of power. Yeah. It's a, a power dynamic that is so obviously skewed in his direction and he's abusing that and he knows it. Yeah, and he knows it and he's borderline, I think he, well, no, not borderline, he's enjoying it. Yeah, and, and he's he probably go- propositioning or saying something 
gross. Yeah. And making her uncomfortable. And as he leaves, he says, I look forward to I hope to see more of you, blah, blah, blah. And like, she's clearly, like, visibly upset on the brink of tears. Yeah. Excellent acting from Martin McCutcheon. It's it's, It's probably one of the darker moments, if there are any in this movie, which is like most women if not all women recognize that that kind of like almost like you're feeling you kind of almost get like goose flesh from it if not that direct situation if you're fortunate enough to have avoided situations that are directly like that you know but that kind of yeah it's like when i watch that scene i feel like simultaneously hot and cold yeah it's horrible that kind of like oh no it helps you any i feel like it does build up to that though yeah he's not just it's like the straw that broke the camel's back that he he he's been been an arsehole he's been an arsehole he's been an arsehole yeah and then it's like it's the straw that broke the camel's back but also it's is it the he kind of is just like well this is the way politics works and i'm a new prime minister and you know maybe this is i'm kind of easing into this role and then he sees that he's actually no that is illegal behavior so no screw you yeah like we're not doing that your character's bad and I don't want to be associated with you because I think that that is like something that we learned from Trump is sometimes people are just bad some people are just bad and I think that's the implication here Um, it's not disagreeing it's you're a bad person yeah and you know this is all this is all very much written in response presented in response to like Bush and then like yeah I think David Cameron quoted some of that speech from Hugh Grant at some point down the line after this like it's all very cheesy like yeah. cringe and there was something but, Tony Blair said as well about like I know people would like me to do like the because uh, he was prime, prime minister, minister at the time, time yeah and he said something like I know people would like me to do the something like what the prime minister in love actually did but you can't just spin foreign policy about it. its heel yeah, just like that, you know. There's there are conversations you have to have. And he was basically he was basically saying, "Look, it's a movie," which is yeah, fair. Which is fair. Um, I, I mean, I think so it's the only time I'll stick up for. It. Yeah, <laughs> and to bring it back to to bring it back to love, yeah, rather than foreign policy, actually. Um, <laughs> my bigger question in the context of this movie is: Does he bump her off the staff to protect? So, does her? he fire her to protect her, or because he's in? Oh. I think he does it. This rewatch made me think he bumped her off the staff to protect her. I'm not convinced. Maybe it's just because I just decided when I started watching the because I was expecting a hate watch, then I put it on and I immediately just got like a warm, fuzzy, happy feeling. I'm like, no, I like it. I hear you, but yeah. I don't think I really don't think that's what's going on. I th- well so I guess he isn't confident that she loves him. He isn't co- like, he fancies her and he's like, oh God, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's particularly confident that she fancies him back. No. Also, I think he is aware that it is not appropriate for him with his power mm-hmm. in gen- in the world and as her employer to feel that way about her. And I think you could actually argue that maybe seeing that dynamic play out with the president and how upset she was, there's a little bit of like, well, I don't actually want her to be subjected to that when he's back, but also... What if I let slip that I fancy her and I may, and I do that as well? Yeah. So I think there could be that, but I also do get what you're saying, and maybe in 2003 that is actually more accurate. <laughs> like that he was just enough. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know what. It would be interesting the to, intentions interesting were. to know for a fact. I think actually now that you've said it, I feel like there is something about like, well, I can't fancy someone on my staff, so she can't be on my staff. Yeah, because he says it a couple of times, yeah. like when he first meets her and she like says shit and fuck. Well, he says fuck first. 
to try and make her feel better. He was like, well, at least she didn't yeah. say fuck and then we'd have really been in trouble. And then she like relaxed and she was like, I knew I was going to fuck up on my first day. And then is mortified, but he just thinks that's great. Yeah. But then he turns away and walks out and he's just like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, it's really cute. It's that, yeah. And you know, who hasn't had that oh no moment? Yeah. That, like, oh, shit. That's inconvenient. That's really inconvenient. It, well, maybe that's what's interesting about it. It could be read a bunch of different ways. I think I, I fall yeah. somewhere in the middle. It's like... It's not solely just because he was in the half, but it's not completely noble either. Yeah. I think it falls think, somewhere in the middle. I think his main... It probably... I think it is in it's the It's still self-serving. He fires a lassie out of a job that she clearly no, he needs. Re- they redistribute She probably got a job elsewhere in the civil service. I don't think she was unemployed. Fair. They're not clear about that. They're not clear about that. They're no. not clear about that, but I think it's like she could have gone and worked in bloody number nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's like she could have... There are other government jobs you know what? that yeah. require that it's also like she, Yeah, she also like... Yeah, she can't just be sacked. She's done nothing wrong. Yeah. If she'd been sacked, I have a real issue she'd with it. Have, yeah, and she'd have <laughs> cause for, like, unfair dismissal stuff that would cause them... Which caused problems with optics. It would be damning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's keep going with them. Anything else to say I'd, on the PM and Natalie? Uh, other than it's really lovely? It's lovely. I love when he goes door to door. Door to door's great. I know he could have got her address and everything but he doesn't and I love the bit where he sings the wee girls their Christmas carols it's so great it's so good yeah and I love the way that her mum just does not care that he's the prime minister she's like I is a lot of legs David (laughs) yeah oh and her dad calling her plumpy fuck off come on man where the fuck is my fucking coat (laughs) love that bit she looks great the silky hair with that little French side yeah that was like side bangs I love that, but I could never pull it off. I tried to get that a couple of times. I tried can't. as well. It made me look like I had a receding hairline. Because <laughs> I've got a widow's peak, and so it just made me look like I had like that, and it just like, looked, it did not look good. It looked very fascist. Oh, no. It looks great on Marty McCutcheon. <laughs> looks great in Marty McCutcheon. It looks beautiful. That red coat with the black hair. Well, I mean, we obviously have to give a shout-out to Hugh slash the PM for his dance number. Oh, it is great. It is great. You can't hear Jump by the Pointer Sisters without thinking about that dance. It's That's iconic. Great. Apparently he was absolutely mortified to do it and he kept trying to put it off. Like Hugh Grant was just like, I don't want to oh, do Hugh. it. But he really goes for it and I think it's it's also charming because it is cringy. Yeah. It's it's the dance moves that you do. You, he's dancing like nobody's watching. Yeah. And <laughs> I love, and like the little sort of hand gesture he does when, is it Pat? Some aide, I don't know. Staff. Some another yeah. member of staff catches him, yeah. Oh no, it is, yeah, it's an aide because he says something about like the Japanese ambassador. Yeah. And he just like does that thing of, if you think you know someone in the street and you start to wave yeah, and, and you realise it's not oh. them and you kind of like, Oh, like I need to do something Find a really natural to, to my your hair. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's that kind of oh. thing he does. It's really great. I think also because like what he ends up doing with the U.S. president is actually what he should do, mm-hmm. which could may or may not just be a happy accident, depending on what we think about his motivations. Yeah, I think it's it's really good. I like that bit. I like the very little bits we get of his and Emma Thompson's relationship. Yeah, when she phones him to be like, "I cannot believe you did that." Yeah, but then he's he's having a party and they're all kind of partying about. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, like call nine one. I think it's your sister." And she's like, "Hello, I'm very busy and important." And like, yeah. I just thought that's really that tracks. You know, that is oh, brother, so and, brother sister, and sister. Like, and he's like, "I have to go. It's the 
the, the exchequer on the other line. She's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'll call you back. She's like, no, you won't. But yeah. she's like, still, I don't know, just like the lovely brother and sister thing of like, no yeah. matter how big time you get, you're still my stupid brother. And like, we don't get enough of it. No. But do you know what? Again, it's credit. We'll come on to this, I think, maybe in the next chapter of this podcast, because I feel like there's a moment with them later on that yeah. demonstrates how close they are or have been yeah. through the brilliance that is Emma Thompson. Oh my gosh. But national the, treasure. National treasure. And rightly so. Um, Love her. She's we, my Joni Mitchell. <laughs> this would be a great moment to segue because uh, we are actually having the audacity to make this podcast about this movie as long as the movie is itself. I think that's fine. We're, I think we're embracing length. Fair enough. <laughs> that's what she said. Um, let's round off by saying lovely moment. Very romantic. I'm happy they got together. I like it. David and Natalie, thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> I love the frisson of sexual tension you get when they're behind the stage at the school show. Yeah. And he's standing behind her and they're pretending that they're watching the show and they're not. They're just like hyper aware of each other. Yeah. That's hot. It is that hot. That shit's hot. It is. <laughs> I really like that it's really important to her that she sees a Wee Brothers show. I know. That's really cute. Keith will be um, really disappointed, David. That's, an, again, another nice segue because he he did have an invite to that school show. He did. It's funny what you find time for, David. Yeah. Ew, David. David! <laughs> <laughs> yes. His his nephew? Niece? Niece's, niece and nephew. Niece and nephew are in it. She's um, a lobster and he's uh, something else. Yeah. In there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's start the new chapter. Yeah, which is Harry, Karen, and Mia. Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, and that girl, the hot one that plays Mia. Heike Makach. She's been in Resident Evil. She's a German actress, so she's actually she's in German stuff. Right. She's in something called Totort, which is a television movie series about the police. So I think it's a bit like Columbo. Okay. Or Prime Suspects, maybe. But that kind of like short burst, but the same folk turn up so I think she is quite big in Germany well, she has some sort of music career and I look I was trying to fight because she's a loathed woman yeah this character she, and she's she's set up to be loathed she is set up to be loathed and I wondered how she felt about that she felt about that yeah just like what had, and, and also like it was like I haven't seen her in much else so has that ruined <laughs> her career interesting yeah so I was I like was googling how can I catch interview and all I could find was all in German so okay. I think she has maybe she had to she's escape like, Britain. I'm German after yeah I'm, actually I'm a, came out yeah maybe they <laughs> subtitle it so that she's like the protagonist <laughs> <laughs> Emma Thompson is, is the villain uh, yeah she, she had, had to, to save Harry from his abusive wife or something yeah, she could walk the streets of London after this movie came which out. is interesting but yeah the only interview I could find was her interviewing Madonna okay so it's a 40 minute interview and it's round about when Madonna was in Evita. So I think it's very random. So I think she must have been like in the German version of like T4 or something like that. Yeah. She's set up to be hated in this. She and is. There are points where you, the knee jerk reaction I had was to hate her. Yeah. Because it's the way she's written. She's the way she's written. Yeah. And she's written in this really quite like it's not even you could you could even argue if you were feeling particularly passionate to do so. It's not even gendered. She's just an asshole. Like. She behaves like an asshole. She is but, She is the way that you would write a homewrecker. Yeah, it's like, it's so two-dimensional. Yeah. 
off the shelf. And like, I say homewrecker and like I don't think anybody Yeah, you use th- that word person, the, yeah, yeah, this this person that she an archetype. plays it does she doesn't exist. Yeah, it's an archetype created by men. Yeah. Yeah, it's an off the shelf quick fix because I'm lazy and women are tools for this If we're stuff. going to have two women in one storyline, we're going to have them pitted against each yeah. other. And we need Harry to be sort of likeable but yes. redeemable in some ways because all the hot secretary kind of goaded him into it. She's quite aggressive. She's, she's very, very aggressive. She's she has a aggressive. basic instinct moment in the office. Yes. and Which is filmed from behind Harry's head as if we're standing behind him looking down at this. Mm. It's so deliberate and gross and it's like, really? Like, okay. What is the... All right. Yeah. Like, it's so framed as if, like, Harry is the unwitting victim to this. How could he possibly resist? Yeah, how oh, could, he's, he's just powerless. A f- oh, he's just a silly man. Silly man, powerless to this Ugh. vixen, this so. secretary vi- And then they, they signpost it so fucking, like, obviously at the Christmas party, they put her in fucking a red dress and devil horns. Why? It's like... Why would you... Was that a naughty thing? Were people just randomly wearing devil horns? I don't know. Maybe they were, because people wear cat ears now. Not at fucking Christmas parties, they weren't. Like, no, that's it's a ha- just it, Halloween ludicrous. Party. Sure. It was, or it wasn't even devil horns with little like that they turned them into Santa hats or something. No, it was just she was just straight up. She was being the devil. The devil. Yeah. Eve. Um, she was being fucking Eve. Oh, like, that's an interesting. It thing, was isn't like it? it was just so painful in terms of it's like look, she's evil. I'm a wanton slut. Yeah. Like <laughs> just leave women alone, Richard Curtis. I know. It was just like. This, I mean, I'm not, I'm, maybe we don't have a lot to say about this actually beyond this because it's like... The interesting thing is not the characters here. The interesting thing is why the characters have been written the way that they are because it's like what you said, like we're supposed to like Alan Rickman. You're supposed to have some sort of pathos for him. Well, actually... Which I don't well, really... to be honest, I think actually in the hands of any other actor, Harry would be like unredeemable in uh-huh. so many ways it's because he's played by Alan Rickman an actor it is impossible to dislike in any of his performances including Die Hard and Robin Hood like, Prince of Thieves like yeah. two films where he is the definitely the baddie he is a singular talent he was oh break my yeah. heart why don't you singular talent and it's hard it's hard to dislike him he's, he's effortlessly charming and funny and dry in everything he does well, he's just always very, he's very human. These situations do happen, but everybody involved is a human being. So yeah. people have like their own... But my point with this is that Harry yeah. also, he makes pretty, like he's, he kind of forces Laura Linney's character into a weird situation. It's like, why mm. are you so obsessed with your colleague's love life? Leave her alone. Yeah. Like, you're her boss. No, I quite like, weird... I actually quite like that bit. And maybe I should You shouldn't... like it because it's Alan Rickman. You like it? Yeah, because it's charming. <laughs> But I think also because otherwise Laura Linney doesn't have any friends in this film. Yeah, she's very alone. Like she has, it's quite and, painful. Actually, and Karen to an extent, she has her at the party. Yeah. Well, I think we'll come back to we'll Laura Linney, but because yeah, that's yeah. worth commenting on. She is, she is alone, and yeah. it is, it is quite. Painful. Single women are so pathetic. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I hate them. Um, and uh, yeah, so Harry is kind of I don't know. Like I, I genuinely feel like. I mean, I'm sure there are actually other actors who could handle this material because it's Richard Curtis and it never really strays into like really offensive territory where that's concerned. But it's too it's too frothy to really be like dark. But he's not very. Um, I don't know. He's just he's very bored of his family and he's hitting on his secretary and he's more involved in the life of his colleagues than he is at home. Yeah. And it is a bit like okay. Well, he's flattered and. 
excited and you know and that is you know it's always quite titillating to find out anybody has a crush on you and yeah I mean stuff. yeah okay maybe I'm being too hard on him maybe I am being too hard well on him, no I, I don't know I mean no I I think he's an, he's an idiot I don't like him I don't like him <laughs> <laughs> well I I he's, can't say that because I do like him because he's Alan Rickman he's like this is why it's, this is why it's so confusing but yeah I suppose it's that and I think again it's in the way it's written because they have to make Mia calculating, cold, conniving, you know, and and that kind of implication that she's after expensive stuff. Yeah. Mia would definitely say things like, other girls don't like me. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. Mia, the, the problem here is that Mia has no redeemable qualities. There's no redeemable, there's nothing human. There is a deleted scene between her and Mark. Oh yeah, because she knows him or works in yeah, the gallery there's, or there's, something. Yeah, so they're having that Christmas party where Harry and Mia have the dance and Karen has to watch, watch. it. I know. Just, can you just... Anyway, so they're at the gallery that Mark works at, but there's like this deleted scene where Mia and Mark are friends and he's unwrapping all of that weird art that's like the pictures of like naked men with Santa hats, Santa hats on and like, yeah, on like nipples, the breasts yeah. that like have the Santa hat nipples and stuff. The way I read it was like he's talking to people at the gallery and he's like it's, it's art actually and I was like is it his art? But no it's his gallery it's and his he's gallery, been sent yeah. these pictures by this really famous photographer and he's like we've been sent these pictures this guy's amazing this is going to be great and he opens it and he's just like oh god this is so weird <laughs> <laughs> and they're kind of having a laugh about it but then she he's just like oh how's the new job and she's like oh I've got a thing for my boss and he's just like oh is it is he married she's like yeah like not a problem kind of like fine but not she, a problem and then she says I can't remember if she says that but that's kind of like she's quite just like you know we can get around that kind of thing and she makes some sort of reference like they could start something and he's just like like unfortunately I'm like in love with my I'm, I'm still in love wife. with my uh, best <laughs> yeah. friend's wife so but it's quite a useful scene just because it does give her a little bit of like well I mean at least she has friends yeah like at least some form somebody of like, like yeah like he likes and he says something like you don't go to work looking as gorgeous as you look right now do you and she's like yeah I do so I think it's interesting that they're friends but then actually in this scene our sympathies for them are so different and also she yeah. isn't just like well she's your friend's wife so <laughs> she doesn't say anything like that so <laughs> which given the information that we do have about her presented in the final cut would track doesn't like, really give seem like she thinks that that's a, a, a shoe they've cut out the one scene we have of her that Harry is not in yeah apart from a couple of like little like yeah. being on the phone with someone or like I think she's maybe on the phone with Karen at one point being like oh you just stepped out or something or like and then she's answers the doors to David so she's kind of like dotted about but she's not Yeah, we're supposed to really hate her emphasised further by the fact that the married lady in this mm. trio is Emma fucking Thompson National <laughs> like, Treasure she's so likeable and so wonderful in this movie yeah she is the best thing in this movie yeah and she loves him I mean, what she has is a, what a lot of people want. You know, like yeah. you want people go on dating apps to meet the person that they can do what she is doing yeah. with. And she jokes about it. She jokes, you know, Joni Mitchell was the one that taught your cold English wife how to feel. Mm-hmm. And like she makes references, particularly after seeing him at the Christmas party with Mia. Jokes about, you know, not being as young or thin as she once was and it's devastating in a number of ways because again what it does which again is another 2000s thing is it places her as the the, the woman who is the vulnerable one in this situation because she's past it yeah whereas he as the same age is attracting the attention of this devastatingly hot 
yeah, woman twenty years his junior. Yeah, it's horrible. It's a real. It's awful just thing. It just really ha- highlights how unfair that double standard is. And it never the the affair, quote unquote affair. It doesn't become an affair. It does. Does it? Yeah. Does it? The affair is canon. Okay. Say more. So I think it was like Emma Freud, who's a critic, who, but who's married to Richard Curtis, was on Twitter and like, or maybe it was Richard Curtis, but there was a point when like basically there there was a lot of chat about it and she was tweeting quite a lot. But there has been a lot of chat about like, was there an affair or was it just like jewelry? And the whole thing that Emma Thompson, like Karen, says to him when they're at the school about like, is it just a flirtation? You know, is it just a necklace? Is it, or is it sex, sex and necklace or is, worse? Is, is it, it sex and love? Is it necklace, necklace and love. And love, yeah. And all that and, and, and all that and um but it was basically like Richard Curtis or Emma Freud via Richard Curtis was like, No, they had an affair. I need more. I need more data. Well, what I inferred as well was like there's a point when Harry so Harry goes to try and get the necklace, which we'll come back to because it's a great scene. But then he gets thwarted. Yeah. Because Emma is off. Shopping for both of their mothers. Yeah. And um, she actually says that I'll do I'll go do the boring bit so you and you make yourself like occupy yourself while yeah, I, mean, I he's do a, that. He's a he's a crap husband. Yeah. He actually is. He's a crap husband. He could at least use his time to go and buy something thoughtful for his wife and he doesn't. Yeah. And um, and it's like it's all the way through. Like, yeah, and he clearly has never taken that amount of time to think about what to get her. And when we see them in the house together where we discover that they're married, uh, when she gets off the phone yeah. with the Prime Minister, she's Sitting at the coffee table, surrounded by stuff, wrapping presents. Making the lobster head. Making the lobster head, yeah. writing the cards. And he's just sitting there like, Ugh, it's, it's all rubbish. just so boring to me. Yeah. I want the sequel to just be Emma Thompson having been divorced, living her best life. Yeah, because there's another comment that we could make that we didn't take an entire podcast about the unpaid emotional and administrative labour yep, of women in the household. And yep. um, I, I mean, I think it, I think it's implied that she is a homemaker or she's a housewife. She doesn't have a job. No, I we think don't she's, see her full-time, job, do we? Full-time, full-time mum. Full-time mum. And yeah. that is, and she really is, is a full-time job. Yeah. She's going to the PTA meetings. She's involved. She see her yeah. talking to so many people at the school. Yeah, show. she knows all the other she knows parents everyone. at the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's and like presumably that's how she knows Liam Neeson. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, that like, probably because be exactly kids all school yeah. together and all that stuff. Like she probably knew Sam's mum really well. But like, there's a scene where she finds the necklace in his pocket. Yes, and, and she thinks it's for her. She but it's for her. she comes in and it's like the kids are doing like a little dress rehearsal of their bits for the show. But he comes in and she's like, "Where have you been? We've been waiting for hours." And I feel like it doesn't take that wouldn't have taken him hours. So I was like, mm. I think something was happening then. But mm. Richard Curtis has confirmed that okay. it, it turned oh, okay. into an affair. I am taking the stance that I don't think they would have been as broken as they are at the end if. He had just been like, oh crap, yeah, I did give her a necklace. Look, I'm going to nip it in the buds. I'll see if I can move her to another department. God, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm such an idiot. He doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. He might end the affair because he's been caught now. Yeah. But he definitely had one. Okay. That's what I think. Okay. I'm not convinced. I don't know. I think it's interesting that it sits ambiguously, actually. It is interesting that it sits ambiguously and I suppose maybe there's also the point it doesn't really matter because the damage is done. Like, the betrayal has happened. Do you know what it is? I'm sitting here with it, letting it just percolate. Do you know what? This is going to sound weird or a bit blunt or or contrary. I don't know. It's going to sound something, but I think... The reason I'm not convinced is I'm like, he doesn't have the fucking balls. I don't think he has the balls to stop it. If we're assuming that he has absolutely no agency in this matter, which is a fiction, mm-hmm. 
I, I think he's a weak, silly man and this is making him feel younger and powerful and desired and these are all things that I guess everyone wants to feel to some extent and it's it's just cliche as as all have referred and <laughs> I don't even know if that's a saying I love it if I'm it's trying not to swear it should less. be it's good <laughs> I'm just trying to use my words it's, he's, swear words are words he's his, yeah anywho I stand by that but yeah I think he's he's weak and I think it did happen because I think when he's around Mia he does seem to he, he does capitulate to what what she is telling him to do and mm-hmm. he is completely seduced by her in every way and I think that that is a thing and I'm not a man so I can't empathise with it but I am aware that that is a thing that can happen to men where they're kind of validated by the way that younger women in particular maybe view them and it's something I have a, you know an indirect experience of but I think that it's just something that's to do with men and how they feel about themselves that I can't articulate because it's not a way I've ever felt but I do I'm just aware it's a thing that was a really that was a really inarticulate way to say that but it is a thing and I think he did do it and good men do that but that doesn't mean it was a good thing to do (laughs) (laughs) what yes (laughs) that's gonna be really interesting to see how that comes out yeah the jury's still out for me only because I feel like his whole behaviour with it is just a bit too pathetic. There's something about crossing the line and doing it that makes him. No, I think the doing of more... it makes him more pathetic. I think if he wasn't pathetic, he oh. would. I think the situation that he's found himself in, in particular things that she says that seem to resonate with him, it would take more balls for him to say no than yes. Because mm. he is seduced by it. And the way he is at the Christmas party when they have that dance in front of his wife yeah that's that's is absolutely brutal it's just like it's it's so brutal and like she watches it and like it's so obvious to everyone like we're again like it's, um, yeah, it's, Laura Linney Sarah is just like well you know he has I guess he's the boss he has to dance with everyone yeah and it's humiliating she's, and she says well some more than others yeah I mean that is brazen yeah leaves his wife alone to sort of like go and mingle with his fucking colleagues yeah and she says oh I better go and like do the rounds and he says you're a saint yeah and so it's like yes she is she is a saint (laughs) and then i guess like she ends up with the necklace so there's a period of time from which he could have Emma decided Thompson to finds it, it in his, the coat pocket yeah. to the Christmas day when she unwraps what she thinks is the necklace and gets a CD, <laughs> which she obviously already has. She would obviously already have this. Yeah. Right, we need to we actually just need to talk about this scene for a while because Yeah. So yeah, that scene there's the, the the missing scene is what happened to get the necklace from the coat pocket to Mia, which we see her then wearing in her underwear. Mm-hmm. in a very much like he's just left kind of fashion oh I had never thought about it that way but that does make sense so that does support your theory and Richard Cannon Richard Cannon? <laughs> Richard Curtis Richard Cannon Curtis yeah. <laughs> he just he just wouldn't one wouldn't <laughs> one wouldn't I've never had sex with my secretary I've never had sex with my secretary partly because I don't have one um, and also I'd, I'd like to think I'd be a switched on respectful employer but maybe that's it as well. I'm just a bit like it is such 
an earth-shattering throw-your-hand-down-on-the-self-destruct button move. Uh-huh. And the fact that they're still together... I think that... We're, or we're not that they're still together, but there's 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 something... I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's deliberately left so ambiguous because we don't even get him arguing his case in either direction no, when she confronts he's, him. because he's weak. He is weak. I just think there's just... Because he's her employer. He's risking... There's just, there's just so much. I just... Part of me is a bit like... Really? Would you would you cross that line for what? You but think also, that this book, it's a cliche like, for a reason. It happens. This is true. All the time. This is true. It happens all the time. People stay together because you know they have a system, and the system works because they're together. Yeah, and and they have kids. They have two young children. And they children. have kids, and you know you're with someone for that length of time, and you share that amount of responsibility. And you are, and then if someone breaks their end of the social contract, yeah, then you are kind of left with a situation of well what do I do now yeah because yeah and if she doesn't have a job if she is a housewife uh, Dan Savage talks about infidelity a lot and how it's not black and white and that people who cheat are not the devil and there's yeah. various different reasons why people cheat and the situations that people find themselves in one of which is he talks about people who need to stay married and stay sane yeah because they are in a marriage it doesn't work anymore but they've scrambled their DNA they have two young children that they're responsible for uh-huh. the power dynamic in terms of fiscal responsibilities all mm. skewed in one direction so actually there's like we hate each other or not they hate each other we don't love each other the same way we did we desire this is, this each other broken. the same way we did there is a broken thing yeah. here people leave the the dynamic of the marriage to get their needs met elsewhere and it doesn't end the marriage because there's a certain need to stay together mm-hmm. but there is a need to go outside of the marriage to stay sane and he argues that there are ways to go about that that are emotionally mature and don't hurt people but we're as humans we're not really programmed to to do that well ever no or to manage our feelings that way or to have open communication in that way well, it's in very way that, british like, yes exactly <laughs> yeah. which is not I, that is not what i'm saying is yeah. going on here by any stretch no it's pretty cut and dry here he He's, is a dickhead it's and weak. his wife is wonderful <laughs> yes it's, he's weak and pathetic and he's crushed an angel and that's unforgivable but I think you're right in that like in a, in a sense it doesn't really matter if there's been an actual affair even though I, I do believe there has but even if there hasn't the fact that the betrayal is been an emotional betrayal even if there hasn't been a physical one and yeah. she it's, he, and, and she is, says like you've made me feel foolish you've made the life that I yeah I live foolish yeah that's the killer line oh, Oh, there's the, so many. Like, that's the finish her line. Oh God, finish him. She's just. I I cannot watch the scene where she listens to Joni Mitchell without crying. No one can if you're not a monster or I a mean, robot. And I'm not. I'm not. I cry at weird things. I cry at everything. You do. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. Both are valid. Mm-hmm. We all feel our feelings in different ways. But her listening to Joni Mitchell, desperately trying not to cry, like so much of her crying is her trying to make herself like, feel like back. she's not yeah, crying. She needs to get it together. They're going to the school show. Yeah, that kind of way where she's like dabbing her eyes mm-hmm. so that they don't look puffy and like fixing the bed fixing and then like the leaning on it for a minute. Every single moment that you see her for the rest of the film, including a month later at the airport, is like she is constantly pulling herself together. Like yeah. there is not a second that is going by where she is not fighting. Yeah. to appear normal. Yeah, she physically changes because yeah. her character fizzes before. She's very like... She's so charming and, and funny charming and, and like, knows the right thing to and say. And holding people together and then yeah. she, her light's dimmed a little bit. Yeah. And it's noticeable. She, she's clipped. 
Yeah. Like at the at the airport at the end, she's like, "Yep, good to have you back." And that thing as well, where like she's got obviously got the kids. The kids are sitting there with like "Welcome Home, Dad" signs and stuff, and like, who do you think sat, sat with them there to make, make that? Them, yeah. You know, and that's heartbreaking because it's like, well, you know, we're broken, but I don't want your kids to hate you. Yeah, they think the and world of you and. That is like really heartbreaking. Like I'm getting quite emotional even just thinking about that. But that is actually horrible. Yeah. That that she would have to do that. And I think but people it's, um, do. People do. And I think um, you know, that's three minutes that scene nearly mm-hmm. in the bedroom, and there's not a word said. It's just Joni Mitchell singing and Emma Thompson living She's and feeling. She's amazing. Um, and I it's love her. one of the most impactful scenes in the movie. And it is that's it. It's just the camera on Emma Thompson. It's yeah. It's and it's so hard. I mean, it's Oscar worthy. (laughs) Everything that Emma Thompson does is Oscar worthy. You know, she's. I think she's the only person who's got an Oscar for writing and acting so far. I read that. I don't think it was the same year. So far, I'm working on it. Um, So I think that's probably enough to say on them. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know how we feel because I'm sure you feel the same way. It's grim. It's the it's the double whammy moment of the oh, men in yeah. our life. We did touch on this and said we would come back to it when we talked about Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson's story, which is that when she runs into David and Natalie, mm-hmm. um, she gets so excited to see her stupid yeah. big brother, her words. Yeah, she was like, I left you a thousand messages, mm-hmm. but I did not expect you to come. Yeah. And she just really needed to see her brother. Yeah, and she gives him this big hug and, and he, he feels it. Yeah, he's, he's like, like there's a moment, are you maybe, okay? Maybe like, it's he like has a little, like, killed. here's open. That's why he's coming back from somewhere. That's why they're meeting him in the airport. He's had him removed from the country. He's like sent him off to I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what Harry does. I don't know what job he's in. But like, what 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 did they do? I don't know. I have no idea. Carl's a designer. I think it's a magazine or a charity. Right. I think. But anyway. <laughs> Similar. Yeah, so she sees him there and she's so, so happy to see him for two reasons. Yeah. She's in this really um, raw, vulnerable, emotional state. And also it's, she's delighted that he's made a family event that was yeah. important. Because these are the things that are important to her, particularly yeah. if she's a homemaker. Like this is this the is big her, event this is her, her calendar. Yeah, it's her job. Yeah, And she gets a, he has an important job. Her job is important too. She works yep. very hard at it. And uh, they have this big hug. And, and it's a really lovely scene. Mm-hmm. But part of my heart breaks a little bit because it's like... Because he's not there for her. He's not there for her and he she doesn't know that. He wasn't even going to look for it. He was going to like sneak in, sneak out. Yeah. I don't even think he was fully aware it was the same concert. I don't think he's even... I don't even no, think he's like, where is this place? Yeah, he yeah, doesn't... I don't even level. think he, he's registered that he's even been invited to something that his yeah, nieces and nephews are doing. Yeah, I think he's the kind of brother... And I, my brother isn't like this, but I think he's the kind of person... <laughs> this isn't... like It's not a dig, David. David. My brother's also called David. <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> no, this is not a dig at my own brother. But like, you get people who mean well, and I think particularly men, because boys are not raised <laughs> being told that being caring is important. Like, particularly in 2003, it was very like, I'm not gay. Emotions are gay. Like, yeah. it's not that. Like, But I think that there's a certain thing that happens with some men, hashtag not all men, where they want to do the right thing and they want to be there for the people that they love and they do deeply, deeply, deeply care about people but they don't know what they're supposed to do. But if you tell them very clearly what you need them to do, they do do it. And that's not shade. That is just the difference in the way that boys and girls are socialised. Like That's not me despairing at men. That's just the patriarchy, I think. Yeah, I know. But part of me is still sort of like, yeah, I hear you, but that's still really tedious because we have all made the effort to work out 
what it is we should do. And yes, we have been socialised differently. Yeah. But we were socialised in ways that were like to defer to men and we've worked out that we shouldn't need to do that anymore. So I'm yeah. just saying, guys, <laughs> there's also something like I completely get it. Like it still exists in the certain dynamics that I have in the male relationships in my life where it's like I'm the one that has to remember people's birthdays and I'm the one that has to sort out presents yeah. and make sure we go to this thing and send thank you notes and yeah. empathy is the woman's job caring well, yeah. and being involved is the women's job and it's like that's not a dig at the cutie in the booth he's 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 normally very not involved <laughs> but but he will be the first to admit when he's not and yeah. there's something about that that's tedious to me it's just like well, we'll get a grip like it's not that hard yeah it it pisses me off when again this is like no shade on my brother but my brother is very guilty of like can you i don't know what to get them can you just sort it out just tell me what to do like whether it's gift buying or or something bigger than that and i'm like no work it out do it yourself like but i do you know actually my brother is the person like for our dad who'll be like i was thinking about this for dad do you want to go halfers and i was like yes excellent he's a nightmare to buy for great now that we're having a brother off, both of our brothers are great. Yeah, they're okay. Um, <laughs> so I back, like them. So back to the Prime Minister. So back to the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. That's all I wanted to say on the end of that, which is like, I feel like there was this moment where two of the most important men in her life have let her down and but, she's not aware of it for one of them. Yeah, and but also I think there's a similar way that both David and Harry have been written where, and David less so than Harry, where they're maybe getting away with a bit more than they should because they're men and like, oh, I'm just a bit crap. We'll also let like, David away with it because he is the Prime Minister. He's, he is, and he is he's legitimately busy. He's legitimately busy. He didn't mean to go to the concert. He just wants to hang out with the girl he fancies, which yeah. is like, fine. Yeah. And there we was want a bit... Him to, we the, want him to do that. There's a bit at the start where it's like, he's not married and what's going on there? And like... It's like, oh, pathetic. Yeah. This is a whole thing. So like, do you know what? We'll let yeah. him off a, a little bit. Yeah, but yes, totally. There is just... A, I just felt that. I just felt that because I was a bit like, I'm glad he's there and I'm glad that you think he's there for the family thing. I'm sure it will come out at future Christmas dinners when you're married to Natalie it will come out much later yeah but in the moment I'm just like oh that's a little sad it would have come in I like to think that there was a follow-up phone call where he is like so I was getting a bit of a vibe from you like obviously this whole thing was going on which everybody found out because the curtain went up and you all saw us but also like you hugged me really tight pal what's going on are you okay that's really cute that you think that he would I think they would because they do. They clearly are close. I oh no, they they are. They are close. I just don't know if I believe. And it's going to be Christmas Day. He's going to have time to phone his sister on Christmas Day. I assume he's going over. I hope so. I assume. Yeah, I I I think she hosts. I think Christmas is at hers, and I think he's going to be there. Anyway, we must move on. We must move on. We were always going to spend a lot of time in that. Will we move on to, speaking of Emma Thompson, how wonderful she is? Will we move on to Liam Neeson? I actually don't have that much to say about Liam Neeson. I have some things to say. Okay, well, if you have some things to say, then I guess we'll spend some time on it. Sometimes I have things to say, Louise Oliver. We also get a lot of really lovely Emma Thompson bits. Or not mm-hmm. a lot, but like we a get couple. One. <laughs> no, we have two. There's two. There's the bit where they're on the phone and she's like, it's that thing where something bad's happened to your pal and it's so awful and you genuinely don't know what you're supposed to say. Oh, it's so the British you, way. Yeah. So sometimes you just say exactly what you're thinking because you don't want them to get the wrong end of the stick. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I've got no idea what the right thing is to say. And this is definitely going to make us both uncomfortable. But also I don't want you to think I don't care that your wife just died. Yeah. And like, that's that. And then she has that kind of like... (sighs) 
yeah. <laughs> kind of moment to herself and he's just like yep yeah, no, totally that's fine and it's just good writing because it just shows that they're pals and he's just yeah. like yep Karen yeah Karen is that dead that tracks yeah no it's Joanna's dead oh sorry yeah Joanna's dead Karen is very much alive and well yes She's dead inside. She's just dead inside. Soon to be dead. By the end, the end of the movie, she's dead inside. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm fine with the storyline. I like it. The kid annoys me. Does he? Yeah, I do find him quite precocious. But I'm not a big fan of children, so that might be why. (laughs) See, I like children, and I like Sam. Me. I think he's. I think he's doing a good job. I mean, he's fine. His mum just died, Louise. Whatever. Get grips, Sam. He can't grip Sam. He's handling it better than his dad. <laughs> yeah, maybe the whole thing is about them both. He's not even. Coming... Ca- he doesn't even care that his he mom's does dead. Care. He's just. He's like. He's processing. No, he's obsessed with a girl at school, and that is all he's thinking he about. He is ten. Eh. He's got a lot to learn. You are hard. You're a tough cookie. <laughs> I don't know. It just annoys me. Uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson's a dreamboat, though. Love him. I think. Love Liam. I think they're both great for their age groups. Um, just this kid anyway. What is so he like, he's 10, 11? He's in, I think they're all primary school, but he's 13 when he filmed it. Oh, Jesus. Or when okay. the film came out anyway, but I think he's quite baby-faced yeah, actor. Yeah, he is. Oh, no, he is, because he still look, he looks... He's still he's a great teenagers. actor. <laughs> he is a great actor. Doesn't look like he's changed much. Just looks like he's stretched. He's very... He's yeah, stretched. he's just someone's kind of uh, pulled him out pulled on, on a like rack. Taffy. Yeah. yeah. But he is really good. I, I liked him in... Um, I know he's in Game of Thrones, but I did really like him in The Queen's, Queen's Gambit. Gambit. Yeah, he's brilliant in The Queen's Gambit. So Sam is fine. He's just child Louise. <laughs> child grieving his mother and uh, obsessing tediously. over... Tediously. <laughs> grieving his mother and, and obsessing over some girl at school. Uh, Liam Neeson is trying to talk to anyone about the fact that he's grieving his wife having died. He's and, um, like feeling bad that he's not coping better, I think. Yeah, and he's upset about it, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. He's he's sort of like Sam's acting weird. He's just locked himself in his room. I think it's about his mum. I I don't think I'm cut out to be his dad. And then it's then we learn he's actually stepdad. Yeah, because he has that conversation with Karen where he's he like, does. "Oh, the whole stepdad thing." It's like it's like, just a different thing when you're not the biological parent was there and now she's not. And then he learns that it's not really about his mum. It's about this uh, preteen angst of being in love with this girl at school, and um, mm-hmm. which is actually kind of great because what this becomes is really a thing that they can connect and bond over. Yeah, and they they move past the grieving. They move no, they didn't. They don't move past it, but they work through the grief. I think yeah, by finding I think it, a focus in this. It gives thing. them something else to focus on. Yeah, yeah. it and it gives them something else to talk about that's just theirs because mm-hmm. it's treated lightly enough. That we kind of know from the way he talks to Sam that I think his character's name's Daniel. So the way Daniel talks to Sam and about Sam, he's kind of like quite, oh, you've got a crush to you. Okay, great. Like this isn't important. And Sam is just like, no, it's it's agony. What worse than the worse. complete agony of being yeah. in love? And his stepdad's like, oh, but, uh, but it's like, he, but then he kind of switches gears and is like, oh no, I'm going to take this really earnestly. But you can tell he is still relieved, but he's processing that, okay, Sam needs me to take him seriously and not patronise him and not just be dismissive of his feelings. And it's... Yeah, I, but I don't think he ever did. I think that's the thing. I think it's really interesting. I think he was panicked because he was like, I've been so consumed by the death of my wife. I have absolutely no idea what to do with you, stepchild. Yeah. <laughs> now that she's gone. And he was agonising over the a multitude of different things that it could possibly be all related to the mum. Yeah. 
and then it turns out he's got a crush. Yeah. And it's like, and right away, Sam calls him on that, like, wait, so what's worse than the total agony of meaning love? Yeah. And he's like, oh, good point, well made. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then they both land in the same space at the same time because this is something he can work on. This is yeah. something he can connect to and relate to. And, um, and for me, the love story here is the two of them potentially getting to know each other properly for the first time. Yeah, and having and, um, a thing that's like their thing. And developing a relationship and being there for one another and helping each other through the grieving process. Yeah. Because, yeah, he doesn't talk to him like a kid in so many ways. Yeah. And again, because all of these little vignettes are so short, like you don't get background. So you don't even know how long he was married before his no. wife died. So he could have essentially raised Sam from a baby. He could have known him a year. Yeah. I guess just depending on where Sam's biological dad is, you know, the custody stuff was simple enough. But that doesn't matter. But. <laughs> yeah, it's like what you said, like, I don't really know what to do. Yeah. Our relationship isn't really primary father-son relationship. You get the impression like his mum did most of it. And like maybe he was involved in the school and that's how he knows Karen, but he wasn't primary parent. He wasn't the person who knew the homework Sam was supposed to be doing, didn't necessarily know every single one of his friends. Yeah. Not that he was being crap, but just like he wasn't. Yeah, the implication yeah. I think is that um he can't have been around for too long, mm-hmm. I think, because otherwise Sam would be bonded to him. Yeah. Because Sam is... I think Sam's meant to be like 9 or 10. Yeah. Like he's not meant to be 13. No, it's like if it's primary school, you couldn't be older than 11, surely. So I feel like if Daniel had been around for any longer than five years... Mm-hmm. Then I think yeah, you don't Sam get the might have some... Sam has grown up with yeah, Daniel. Yeah, so I feel like he's relatively new. I'm, I'm giving him two years, maybe. I think maybe two years. I don't. I don't know. It's very unclear. Which is um, not to say he was in any sense like crap with Sam. No. It was just like he wasn't. Maybe if Sam was acting up, he would be like Joanna. What? And what that's do a I process. Do? Like, it doesn't mean he's crap with Sam at all. No. I think it's just like if he's. Uh, there's so many layers to this that would would meant that Sam and their bonding kind of would have been secondary like replacing his biological father marrying his mum the mum dies then like you know what I mean there's like there's no time yeah. in that all of that for them to become bonded in yeah. a father-son way in any meaningful way but again none of that is clear yeah. um so we don't know I, I don't know I, do you know what I also don't I just I kind of hate the way Sam crushes I'm just like but no it's like the way Sam crushes it's not I think that is the way that you crush when you're like 10 I don't I don't I just have no time for children I just like yeah this whatever like I don't think I don't think we can give Mark allowances and benefits of the doubt and not give them to Sam this is true because he's a child this is true he is a child (laughs) he's a child I'm just like whatever like I'm Children. No, uh, I think that is the way you cr- you like. I was fully in love with Leonardo DiCaprio when I was eleven. Well, like, no, that's, that's not that's not what I mean. I just sort of am like children being in love with each other. Just like I don't know. I I, I don't know. It's just, a, well, it's a different I, thing. Do you know what it's it a is? Very I think it's thing. just like I'm just like. Could you not be climbing trees and worrying less about impressing this girl? Like I guess I mean, that's you could, what it is. But like, like, I'm just but like, it's the start of the pre-pubescent things. Is like you have crushes and people have like. I had a boyfriend for a year and a half between primaries five and six, and we were just best friends. We just really liked each other and got on really well and did everything together and bought each other a present and Valentine's Day. That was it. But children go through the motions of these things, but also like puberty doesn't happen overnight as we bloody no like <laughs> so that but you start to you know you're kind of you play out these scenarios but also that like, you do start to have crushes or you know you do start to have situations where 
it's get, not, I know, it's I get normal all that. For... I just don't care. And maybe it's because the, the girl doesn't appear till later on. Like, I don't care because I don't know who she is. But I, no, but I think that that kind of consuming crush that a child has is like, I think that is like a thing. Like, oh, it's absolutely a thing. I'm not saying it's, it's not a thing. I just you don't, don't see it often. care about it. <laughs> for I do care concerned, about it. But I'm just like, it's too one-sided. I'm like, I sort of care, I, I care, I care about it enough in the context of how it affects his relationship with Daniel because to me that's the love story that's playing out here. Well totally. I don't think it's like, I don't think you're really putting a huge amount on whether or not he gets together with Joanna. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't you, think I don't, we're supposed I don't think we're rooting for them to be like an end game relationship yeah, or anything. No, and that's why the, the the airport scene just I'm just like all I can focus on in the airport scene is like that kid would have been shot. Like there's absolutely I mean, no way that that kid could run through an airport and then he gets there and then we get like and then it cuts it basically cuts he like just Joanna gets turns around. Away. well Joanna no he doesn't even we, she, he gets there and then he stops and goes Joanna and she turns around and walks back and then the security come and he goes I have to go and then we don't even see him get dragged away yeah. it's just like it's so I mean cool fine. we'll see him we see like, him get dragged back in yeah we see him yeah we see him get like there's a cut where he's like back at where he left Daniel and the security guards just yeah. drop him off and they walk away with no words to have with Daniel which is again annoyingly unrealistic I mean um, it's just Christmas it's busy it's Christmas they just they just want to finish their shift and go home fair I've got no beef with the security guards at Heathrow Airport <laughs> oh I've got so much beef not, with the security guards at Heathrow Airport um, I know yeah, that's not in 2003 <laughs> But I think that it's important, I guess, because it's not that we're thinking like that relationship needs to end in marriage and babies. I think it's about the fact that Daniel has impressed upon him that like what he wants matters and it's not really about go and like win her heart and you deserve her and like there's no entitlement about it it's just like you just have to tell her like you just have like otherwise you you'll wonder and I think that Sam running through the airport is just about like him knowing that what he wants matters and yeah and feeling emotionally safe to have those feelings which yeah. is which is a lovely non-toxic thing for a man to impart yeah it's all very beautiful boy. like yeah, again, for me, it comes back to the to the the dad. Yeah, and I think that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that, and it is really lovely. That at no point, and the fact that she likes him back is like it's a cherry on top. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, it is. It is nice. It's nice that she likes him. It's sweet. But I would have been equally happy if he came back and said she had she wasn't no idea really what that to do into it. She... Yeah, and then they high fived like... over their effort anyway, and it came back to Daniel and Sam. But like again, like those relationships between kids do happen, and they're not unimportant or unformative. No, I'm not saying that. It's just I just don't get enough of it from this storyline. It becomes less about that. It, no, it's not about that. I think my point is that it is nice that she likes him. Of course, yeah. Sure. It's nicer that she likes him than if she didn't. Yes, of course. Like, I would not care if we she rejected uh, him. We wouldn't like the, the broken-hearted child on top of uh, all of the other broken Sam hearts. needed a win. Sam did, Sam did need a win. His mum has just died. That's yeah. true. I don't know what's wrong with me. Why do you hate <laughs> children so much? I don't know. They're a drain on our resources. I can't I, believe I've like, had to spend this amount of time talking about this. It's like trying to convince me not to be like, well, whatever. Get over like, it. Should have been arrested. Shouldn't have even made it past. Shot you. was your word. Shot. Actually. Shot. <laughs> Child should have been shot. Yeah. Well, we can agree to disagree. <laughs> But I will, I will agree with you that those relationships are formative. Yeah. Like, Sam might yeah. go and do, like, Camp America when he's 18 and, like, Joanna will be living in LA and take him out partying and they'll chat about how they went out for six months over pen palling. Cute. 
And it will be cute. They'll be Facebook friends. They will be Facebook friends. Yeah. Facebook's about to come in, I think. It's like... Yeah, they'll have added each other on Bebo. <laughs> yeah. They'll figure it out. They're both too young for MySpace at this point. But anyway, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Actually, one last thing. Liam Neeson starts dating a Claudia Schiffer lookalike within a month of his wife dying. Yeah. How do we feel about that? Is it one month? Yes. Because she's at the airport, right? She's at the airport. They're clearly there together. Uh, um, they are there together. She has her kid there too. I don't. I, I don't. Maybe I don't, they're just pals. I think, Maybe they're well, just kind I mean, of taking like, it slow. They could take it slow. Um, I feel like it's perfectly legit for both Sam and his mate, who also probably knows Joanna, to come and meet them at the airport. And it's like a whole like the three parents and the three kids go out for lunch now that Joanna's back in town. I, yeah, I didn't read any, too much into it other than like it's actually Claudia Schiffer and we probably need her for more than one scene. Or if we've got her for more than one scene, we can do that. Well, yeah, and also, yeah, I don't. Fine. I feel like I feel like I'm going for coffee a month after his wife dying. It's probably okay. I think I'm getting into anything too serious. It's all about his mental state. It's all about where he is. Okay. I mean, I don't. I'm not not upset about it. <laughs> just it's just a note. I do love when Emma Thompson tells him no one's going to shag you if you're crying all the time. It's a good line. Not because I think it's correct. Just because I think it's such a skill in a person to know the inappropriate thing that is actually the right thing to say mm-hmm. that's going to make him laugh, and I like that. I like their friendship. I just think it's really nice. It is good uh, to the point where I thought they were brother and sister at first. It's a good friendship. Yeah, Jamie and Aurelia. Let's do Jamie and Aurelia. Okay. It feels like not as emotional as Laura Linney and not as funny as Billy Mac and Joe. Okay. Somewhere in between. Please, and this is, yeah. I, to be honest, this is one that could have been cut for me. This feels like a storyline that could have been cut for me. It's There's just not enough there. It's ludicrous. It's probably the most ludicrous, actually, in some ways. I mean, I, I do like it. Okay. And I think a lot of that is probably just sentiment. But I do like it. It's very old worldy. It's this old- is the most Pride and Prejudice-y kind of sense and sensibility feeling one. Or just like there's maybe something in the the different ways you can communicate with someone. Yeah, it's lovely. I don't know. I think it's just you don't see it a lot where you're having like these conversations that they're having with each other where we can hear what he's saying and we can see her subtitles and they're actually having the same conversation. Yeah, it's lovely. That bit is um, is very nice. And there's you know and there's clearly a physical attraction to them and all that kind of stuff and they like each other. And I think maybe same with like the Mark and Juliet situation of like if it was problematic, yeah, it's problematic, but it's not. It happens to be not. And no, it's not problematic. It's just it's nice. I think it's nice. It's nice until he like doesn't see her for however long he doesn't see her, and then just decides randomly to track her down and ask. I mean, her I to think it all him. happens in the month of December. Does it though? This is the one thing. Yeah, because it the keeps one having things that, like, that's like four weeks till Christmas, three weeks till oh, Christmas, so does, two weeks yeah. till Christmas. This like, is the one that confuses me the most because it like implies that he's had enough time to go away and learn a language badly. But, but he, has, yeah. he does learn it badly and I think you feel like you can do that if you really, like the equivalent of doing that now with his wee headphones well, in his wait, class is just like... how long has he been in France then? A couple of weeks. So he's known her for a couple of weeks. But yeah, hung out every day. Uh, Natalie and David known each other for a couple of weeks too. Yeah, but they just start going out. He doesn't ask her to marry him. Jack and Judy get engaged within a month. When does that happen? At the airport, she's got an engagement ring on. So is that like, when does that happen though? Like how how far off... Are we after Christmas when we're at the airport? It's one month later. One month later. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not stupid either. Like, that's probably a mistake. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's not silly or ludicrous or irrational or anything like that. But, like, in, in terms of the... This is the rom-com world we're existing in right now. Yeah. 
So maybe it's just the frame of mind I get into when I watch them, actually, because I really thought it was going to be just like a real cynical bee about it. And I hear what people are saying when they pull this film apart, but I don't... I don't necessarily want to pull Jamie and Aurelia apart. I just feel like it's a bit daft and I don't care about them enough. I care a little bit about Jamie. Again, Aurelia is underserved because, again, we don't know anything about her. And she's again there as a... She is kind of there as something for Jamie to respond to in his... Totally. I um, feel like the characterisation of women in this film in order of depth goes Emma Thompson, Laura Linney, Martin McCutcheon, Liam Neeson's dead wife. <laughs> Claudia Schiffer. Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> all, then all the other women. Like, and then, way and below then that. all the other women. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like you get all this stuff about like you know like Liam Neeson's wife, Aurelia's like fat sister, Aurelia's fat sister. Like she at least has a bit of agency. She's the baddest bitch in the whole she fucking movie. Is, she is done with these guys. Yeah, she's the only person who's like. Does anyone else think this is weird? Come on, <laughs> some some dudes here to like my dad kill selling Aurelia. my sister into slavery. Like, if I seen that, I'd be like, prob- yeah, probably. Yeah, like, probably what is happening? Aurelia. I feel a little bit for Colin Firth just because of the whole horrific discovering his wife is cheating on him with his brother. A man who's credited as bad brother bad Jamie. Brother. Yeah, yeah, Jamie's, ba- Jamie's, Jamie's bad, bad brother. brother. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, okay. He comes home and finds him there and the, the, the reveal is that she shouts through, Come on, big boy, I want you at least twice before Jamie gets home. Or that's something it. Like that. like, it's- to be honest, my note was something along the lines of like, mate, you're well shot of it if that's her pattern. Totally. Like, absolutely well shot of it. But still a devastating moment for Uncle Jamie. Um, yeah, that's actually my first note about it is Jamie loving his wife, silly bastard. You know what? This film gets a lot of very well deserved flack, but it's fucking charming and I actually do love it. So that's like, I think that was when I sank into like, oh no, I do actually just really love this. Film. <laughs> she loves it, actually. I think that this film, the problematic fave is love, actually. <laughs> The problematic fave is love. Actually, <laughs> it's the movie. Oh, problematic fave, oh yeah. Problematic, the shit's problematic. Oh, problematic fave, oh yeah. Problematic, problematic shit. And also Billy Mac, but we'll come to that. We'll come to that. Uh, yeah. So Colin Firth marrying the poor woman who can't yeah. speak his language and I or think proposing to I, I don't I, it's just so fucking stupid I don't it I don't. is but I think also you know like we can talk about like the Bill Murray of it all the Hugh Grant of it all the Alan Rickman of it all and there is a Colin Firthism there's a Colin Firthness <laughs> here that oh, yeah. is like well he's Mr. Darcy he's proper oh, yeah, he's, he's fine so... we know he's nice because we've seen him play oh he's Mr. Darcy handsome charming twice wonderful. yeah he's yeah <laughs> like, listen no complaints over here about the Colin Firth of it all. Uh, he's he's lovely. He's a bumbling English snack. He has a bumbling English snack. <laughs> That's perfect. And uh, I am so mad at him for sitting out in the garden, typing away on his wee typewriter with his fucking paper copy, with his cup, holding it down outdoors in winter. And the oh, poor he's a woman, fanny. He's a fanny. <laughs> the poor woman has to jump in that pot. Like, honestly, like, he's the kind of man you want to shake and then have him shake you later. I think <laughs> that's all I have to say about Colin 
I think just again it's fat shaming the sister fat shaming the sister is brutal I do like when they're both he's talking crap Portuguese to her and she's talking crap English to him I think it's lovely and I like the bit in the airport at the end when she's makes the crack about all of his friends being so handsomer looking, yeah. and he's just like oh she, like, she doesn't speak English properly she yeah. doesn't know what she's talking about like I think that is really cute <laughs> it's really really cute uh Aurelia is a badass. I like Aurelia. I think, yeah. like, listen, you're, you know, you will one day teach your cold, dead-hearted podcast host how to feel. You, ha- you do. We discussed but, uh, not an no, hour I do. ago. I do cry at everything. You, you do have feelings. I do have feelings. Just, just not, not where not children about, are just, concerned. Just not where children are concerned or this. I, I, like, I just, I'm not saying it's not romantic. I just, yeah. I think I just need a little bit more to get invested. Fair and enough. I'm like, this is stupid. Most women, I think... And if we're talking in real terms, if that happened, you'd be like, I'm sorry, how long have we known each other? Like, mm. who, I, who are you again? I think it's what they've had to do in this film is give you a lot of information with not very much yeah, I know, time. Yeah, I know. And, it's a rom-com. And-, and it is. And also, like, he's got, we've seen him go off and do the Portuguese lessons. Mm-hmm. But she has obviously gone off and done the same thing. Yeah, they've been, cl- they've clearly been thinking about each other. Yeah. It, fine, whatever. There's the parallel, but they don't have as much information as we have. Yeah, um, and so it's a leap. I of hope faith. they'll be very happy together. I really, yes. really do. I'm talking like someone who's not actually in a very loving relationship. <laughs> I'm talking like some kind I of know, like. Why am I coming across as a romantic like, when I'm actually super bitter? Sounding so bitter. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Uh, uh, Laura Linney. Laura Linney. Wonderful, wonderful Laura Linney. Oh, I love her. This is really sad. This I love really... everything she does. She's an incredible actress. An incredible actress. She's so good. Um, we I need her in more things. Her storyline in this is devastating. It's really heartbreaking. <sighs> I actually don't know if I have hu- like a huge amount to unpack here other than that there's something that really bothers me about why they couldn't work it out and who's who's leading that who's yeah who's the person who's kind of shat it but I actually feel like again maybe because I'm a woman who dates and <laughs> dating is hard dating is hard so I can feel more what she's feeling rather than what men she would date would feel so my view of it which that's just a caveat that this is coloured by my own experiences or the experiences of being a woman in the dating scene. But she's had this crush forever and, like, I love a crush. They're great. They're very fulfilling in their own way. But she's had this crush for years. She has this weird idea that she's not the most beautiful creature in the world, which is insane. (laughs) And then they kind of have a bit of a chance for something to happen and then her her caring responsibilities get in the way and she prioritises correctly, I think. She does what she has to do. She goes and looks after her brother and that's her family. Her parents have passed away. He is her... her He's main... quite debilitatingly unwell. Very debilitatingly unwell. And He's in yes, a facility of some kind, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah, he's institutionalised for sure and well, she's the only person he seems to talk to and she seems to talk to him more than she talks to anyone else apart from maybe her boss and her boss's wife. Although, I, now that you've brought up her boss who seems to care very much about how she manages her personal life but doesn't seem to 
to be very forthcoming with talking to her about how she can manage her caring responsibilities and what they can do as an organisation yeah. and what he can do as a boss to help her with that. Does she need a little bit extra in her salary to bring in a secondary carer? Does she need more time off and to work from home yeah. and to like... Like some flexible hours. Flexible maybe. hours to manage those responsibilities. Yeah. Not forthcoming with that, but rather much more forthcoming with like, could you just fuck our graphic designer yeah, and turn put all our misery? Yeah, turn, yeah. Your f- turn your phone off. Yeah, yeah. he tells her that. It's one like of the you're not actually that sensitive to her needs... Harry. No, no, and but also it's. I think there is merit to being like it's absolutely fine, and I think he's maybe trying to say this and not saying it in the right way. And I'm not trying to be a Harry apologist because we know I'm not. But like, somebody needs to say to her, she needs to have somebody reassure her that it's fine to want something for yourself. Yes, one hundred percent. And I think that's what Harry is doing imperfectly, but I do think that's what he's doing. And it's also one of the bits weirdly that gives him a bit of depth as well. Yeah. Yeah, his his care for her as a colleague and presumably friend does humanise him. Yeah, yeah. and there is. are elements of it that haven't aged super well, but it was... Yeah, also we just didn't... We were, as, as we're barely having those discussions now about yeah. like actually prioritising the individual and human care in a, in a workforce yeah. context. So and that's like in 2003 saying, is like... 2003, yeah. and it's like that's the equivalent of us talking in 2003 about something that happened in 1985. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Um, let's not be too hard on that. But yes, noted for that, but... Um, she has the chance for something to happen with Carl and then this her brother needs her attention and then it just kind of seems like well it's just over and Carl basically says ignore it like ignore is it going to yeah. make him better if you don't go but it's not as anyone who loves anyone knows like it's not actually about that sometimes you just there's an instant when you need to be there and you can't be there later yeah and that's that's borne out in the script because what happens is when she takes the second call it's worse like, yeah. please don't do that it's fine I can come over like there's something we don't hear the other side of the conversation but the other side of the conversation is that he's clearly spiralled a little bit Yeah, and that's the part that Carl doesn't understand that just how serious this is and that yeah and I have a problem with Carl for that he's kind of there to just look really bronzed and lickable sure to be fair. and he's you know and he's, he's, you know, objectified. he's, he's good at he's it he's the male Mia but, he, he a, is but like a nice person he is to but, a he's, extent. but he actually annoys me more than Mia for this because yeah I feel like we're supposed to feel bad for him or something we're supposed to feel like he's been hurt and like she's messed up or something or at least softening that maybe that there's just a bit of a misunderstanding and I don't know if it's that it's a bit heavier than what he's looking for uh, to me there's a bit of a missing scene here in the sense that we jump from the failed evening together to them back in the office and, and the awkward sort of like have a good night mm-hmm. so I don't know if they've had a conversation and where she sh- doesn't have her makeup on yeah. So she has like the first time you see him leaving, she, they're both working late and he's leaving. She's like reapplying her makeup so that when she says goodnight to Carl, she feels like she's looking her best. Yeah. And then after that scene, they have it and she's leaving and he says goodnight to her and he's obviously sad about yeah, it. Yeah, he seems really like, sad. She's blinking back tears, but she's not put makeup yeah, she's on. Not made, yeah, she's so, not which done the same like, ritual that yeah. she would normally do. So in her head, it's done. Like it's, yeah. that's it. Which but you'd again, like to think, it's it, this film doesn't cover a huge span of time. So who knows what could happen yeah. like maybe they'll get drunk at the summer party I hope so I hope so too because I do root me, for them she deserves to be with someone who can build this into their worldview around what it means or, to yeah. be with her or just like make choices around being less directly involved in his care or just you know it's like know. they work together so it's like can he not just maybe start stopping by her desk a bit like was there no and this is this is not Laura Linney blaming or Sarah blaming but like was there not any scope to be like look I need to go see my brother like why don't you stay here and just go to bed I'll be back in a couple hours because 
because maybe she feels really awkward about really it. Really awkward about it because you would you would feel like like because dating's hard like you're constantly having and like the older you get the more baggage you get so you kind of have like this do, do people want to take on all of this yeah. and it's really easy to get in your head about that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, because if you've got caring responsibilities, it's hard to like feel like you're a package if yeah. you come with this thing that in your deep dark long nights of the soul you know is a burden to you to a certain degree although you'd never admit that out loud to yourself there's this really difficult thing of like expecting somebody else to take that on yeah if they take you on yeah so I get it it's hard and um, there's definitely a thing with Carl where like I think we were Carl doesn't realise how hot he is yeah <laughs> He's, he's like stupidly hot whereas like, like in, a, in a sense like if Carl realised like, how hot he is he might appreciate that the, prop, the ball's very much in his court to make her feel better he's like cartoonishly hot like. yeah, but I think actually the way his body language when she's on the phone to her brother saying yeah of course I'll come no I'm not in the middle of anything important like she says something that's like no I'm not doing anything yeah and his body language is a person who's been made to feel rejected yeah and in fairness she hasn't given him enough information. No. Again, to play devil's advocate on Carl's behalf, all that she's said is that my brother's a bit unwell. Yeah. She's not expressed to the degree what that what that means. And yeah, and she said nothing important's going on. So yeah, it tracks that Carl would be like, okay, I am not important in this yeah. dynamic, which is fair because he's not, because her focus absolutely is on her brother and his mental well-being in that moment. And as far as we know, this is the first conversation they've had. They've ever had about this. Apart from like, good night, Carl, good night, Sarah. Yeah, we, like, as far as we know, like... That's like, all that's, they've that's, ever said that to each other. ever said to each other. So, Up yeah. until the Christmas party. And they yes. must have had like some kind of chat. And I love their they've awkward kind of gone, dancing. Yeah, their awkward dancing is so sweet. It's oh. so cute. Who doesn't love a an awkward record scratch from the, the boogie to the slow dance? Yeah drifting towards each other and going oh I guess we're doing this now yeah it's a lovely little conversation when they go from like the absolute brutal chat that Sarah and Karen are having about Harry dancing with Mia and then Carl comes over and Karen is just all of her facial expressions and body language about like nudging her and being like I'm stepping over here now yeah she takes the gin and tonic yeah but very much like oh I'm just gonna look at this amazing art yeah and then Carl's like oh will we have a dance will we have the chance to or something and then Emma Thompson just like leans back and just like grabs her gin grabs out of her and, hand yeah, yeah. and then just like ushers her off yeah. in a really kind of like she's obviously having her weird out like what is my husband doing right now this yeah. is so weird so weird and brutal but at the same time like she's so happy that yeah. that's happening and she's just really written she's for very focused on and it's really nice I love it I love this film yeah. Oh gosh. I love this problematic film. This is so funny because like, I feel like your energy for this film is going up, mine is going down and down and down. I really like it and I don't know why. <laughs> so that's a quintessential problematic fave energy. I have no idea why. I mean, it's, yeah, there's lots of lovely, fluffy things to like. It's the performances. It is the performances. One of the redeemable qualities about this film and what gives it its longevity is the cast. Yeah. It's 100% the cast. Like, Richard Curtis just assembled his Avengers, basically. Well, yeah, and also, like, Jack and Judy weren't really famous at the time. I think Martin Freeman had done The Office. He did The Office, but given what a big hit this was in America, like, that hadn't gone over there. No, but he was, I think at this point, he was sort of concurrently well-known for The Office. It was, and it was a British film. It was yeah. like, no, I think it think it did well in America subsequently, but it was very much for our market at the time. Um, and he doesn't give off an un-Tim energy in this film. No, he is. He's basically Tim. Yeah. He's um, kind of basically Tim in everything he does, really. Yeah, yeah. basically Tim. <laughs> that's, like a, that's like a 
That's a naughty band name. <laughs> Basically, Tim. And obviously, Judy was in Gavin and Stacey, but Stacey, not till yeah. late, not till a lot later. She wasn't in that yet, so she would have been relatively unknown at this point. Um, do we have anything else on Laura Linney and Carl? Oh, the bit at the end when she spends Christmas with her brother is yeah. All the scenes with the brother are devastating. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Billy and Gregor. This is fun. It's a fun bit. It's our platonic. It's our friendship. It's our friendship. Yeah, yeah. and it's nice. Yeah. I looked up what Bill Nye's references were because I was like, I'm getting Jagger. Mm-hmm. But I looked up and uh, The Guardian have an article about like how we made it. They've got a series like how we made this film and Love Actually is one of them. And Bill Nye says that he's got it's like an amalgam of several people. Yeah, his physicality is a thing. Yeah. The way he carries himself and gangly moves and punctuates his speech, which is a thing he does anyway, but like it's particularly pronounced in this. It's the lightness and the silliness we need in response to some bits of it. It's responsible for what I think is the funniest line in the movie, which is when he's being interviewed by Aunt Deck and he's like, Yes, Aunt or Deck. Yeah, that is the best line. Cracks me up every single time. <laughs> Aunt and Deck doing great work. Like. Aunt and Deck are so good in that scene. <laughs> yeah, like like the, the nervous looks they're giving to camera. Yeah, Aunt and Deck are great. Just looking really tense at like, oh God, what's he going to say? Like, poor, and poor Blue get a hard time. Oh, poor Blue do get hard, but they're fine. Apparently they all have tiny pricks. I know. Um, they did fine. Nobody actually yeah. thought that. No. And also it's fine if they do, because we don't need to body shame anybody. Uh. <laughs> we don't. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Okay. So I feel like I'm being more aggro with you than normal today. I don't know why. Sorry. I'm in, a, I'm in a dark spiral. We're, we're disagreeing more than we usually do. <laughs> but your favourite movie, Love Actually. It's not my favourite movie. Don't diminish me. <laughs> uh, it's not my favourite movie. I just like it. That's fine. That's okay. Like a lot of toxic things I like. <laughs> Yeah, I love them. I think they're funny. Uh, lots of silliness to be had. I yeah, What really is good. there to say about Not a them? Lot, there isn't actually. We should have actually opened with them, actually. This is a really, like... It's, well, it's nice that they've got a friendship rather than a romance in it. Bill Nye is very lovable, and the only thing about it that I think that hasn't aged well at all is when he's on the radio show and he makes the Britney Spears joke. No. If it hadn't aged well before in 2021, it's been like... Really hasn't aged well. And I also think, actually, it's maybe uncharacteristic of the character. It's the only time in the film he punches down. Yes. Other than to poor, long-suffering Joe. Yeah. I think he um, says it as a sort of like, what's the most ridiculous response I can have to this? No, yeah. And then he punches down by saying, she was rubbish. Yeah. Um... But everything with him and Bill Nye as well is like it's so dry, it's so like Sahara level dry that you can you can't really take it seriously. It's like yeah, Bill Nye has actually said he feels bad about that joke. Well, good, he should. Yeah, he because, should. You know, as we know, nobody leave Britney alone. Leave Britney alone. <laughs> no one is allowed to make jokes about Britney. No, no. So they're not punchy downy ones. But it was two thousand and three, and she was literally at that moment. The butt of everyone's joke. She was. So he was not the only one doing that. Not that it's an excuse, but she was not a person, really. It was just 2003 has not aged well, really. Yeah. Um. 2003, you're right, has not <laughs> aged well. I like, I like the storyline for him. I like how he's kind of like just gone, fuck it. Fuck the machine. I don't care. The song is shit. I know it's shit. I can't pretend yeah. it's not shit. I just I really mean, wanted to make some money. And I don't have a lot else to say about that, though. You really like the last scene of it, though. Oh, I love the last scene. I think it's a really lovely 
unexpected for 2003 kind of way to end it that the love story is between him and Joe and that they've been yeah. together this whole time and Joe is his long-suffering manager Joe is still like cringing even with every step of the way all of his like fuck it I'm going to say what I want and it just keeps boosting his popularity Yeah. and Joe's like still though I'm glad we got away with that one but if the fallout happens it's going to be me that has yeah, to deal with I'm it probably, like, even if this does go well I'm still going to have to talk to some sort of up top yeah. about what he's just done on live and kicking or whatever it was don't buy drugs kids become a pop star and they'll give you them for free <laughs> and again like Ant and Dec, like they're like when he says don't buy drugs and they look so relieved <laughs> Right. They're so good. I love Ant and Dick. I know. Ant or Dick. I love both of the Ant or Dicks. <laughs> I think they're both great. I root for them both really hard in real life. Yeah. And, and in this. Um, yeah, I love it. I love the end scene. I think it's really lovely. It's I really think nice. it's um especially because you get that kind of like slightly hurt puppy thing where Joe's in the background at the, the big sexy party yeah. when it's announced he's Christmas number one and we get that girl who is the embodiment of 2003 she has one line she's like got the phone it's Elton on the phone she's like Billy bye it's for you and yeah. she stands next to him she's got the spiky short hairdo yeah and the very super plucked thin eyebrows yeah. and one really long gold chain earring but yeah. no earring in the other ear and she does this arched eyebrow thing she's just like she steals the scene for me she's yeah. just like gurning away it's brilliant she's like I don't know who she she's, is but she's putting jam on it she is oh there's jam <laughs> all up the walls it's great so he's getting this invite to Elton's party and uh, yeah. Joe slinks off feeling like well that's me back to my that's house by myself my yeah and, and, you know, the implication being he is by himself. Like, yeah. he goes home, it's Christmas, and he's there alone, and then Billy turns up and says, you know, we've been together through thick and thin, and the person I actually... Basically, it's like, you're my family. You're yeah. the love of my life, and I want to spend... The person I love is you. you. We can't actually do it without the movement. Yeah, we can't do it. Yeah, you need to kind of just kind of find... We might the... have to video you doing it. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, he does this really funny bit of physical business where he kind of like mimes a guitar <laughs> on the beats of Is You and it's it's great. Because it's really hard for men to talk about their feelings because they're not gay, okay? Not gay. They're not gay. And and Gregor Fisher actually does do this thing where he looks absolutely stricken, like he's terrified mm-hmm. because, because another man is saying things that have, like he's mm. saying his feelings and please don't bum me. That is basically his face. And it's but like, also, it's like I think there is. He also really needed to hear it as well. Yeah, he gets really teary at yeah, the end. Yeah, like, like, it's been an honour. It's been an honour. It's been an honour. It's the most rapsy Nez that he is in the whole <laughs> time. So rapsy. It's been an honour. It's been an honour. <laughs> and this Gregor Fisher, where is he? And you know, this film always reminds me of him and how he's actually a really capable. Yeah, he's a great actor. actor. And that's what that's. I don't have much else to say in them. Uh, there's one key character we've not discussed. And that's Ryan Aunt Atkinson. No, we've discussed them. Uh, it's Ryan Atkinson. Oh, Ryan Atkinson. Yes, Ryan Atkinson is in it. I mean, well, yeah, I just well, no, I, I don't want. I just don't want to not mention him because yeah. he's so good. And I say that not to be a dick, but like it is like he is in it, and he has no character to speak of, but he has an absolutely iconic scene. <sighs> Two iconic scenes, actually. This is he's there, and how do you even describe it? Like he's. He's there in an attempt to cock block Harry slash Alan Rickman yeah. to stop him from buying the necklace with this beautifully elaborate scene 
where he's over gift wrapping the necklace. Yeah. And it's really funny. Yeah. So this was another thing that was actually confirmed by Emma Freud that he was originally supposed to be an angel. Okay. So there's a scene, there was a, a scene, I guess, that was written but not filmed where he evaporates at the airport. After oh, he's I'm really got glad Sam that. I'm I know, really me too. glad they didn't film that, yeah. Me too. And then it coupled with a theory that Mia is the actual devil. Ugh. And like, no, I'm very glad that they didn't do that. I'm glad that they just had him be like an overzealous department store worker yeah. and who who's just got a shining personality and she just has un, some unresolved issues and we don't get enough time with her to know what her motivation is. And I prefer yeah. that very much. But I love, I think even at the time when I watched that scene in the cinema, I was stressed on Harry's behalf. <laughs> And now when I watch it, I'm like, yes, you you smother that lavender. Yeah. You take your time with those petals and the flourishes and the bag that isn't a bag. It's so much more than a bag. And I love everything Rowan Atkinson does ever. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a wonderful person. I think um, it, it retains some of the magic knowing because there is an end like I feel like it's not it people have mentioned that without knowing that they cut a scene that yeah he was meant to be an angel because there is something there's something about slightly whimsical and yeah. mischievous in the playing of it and then the fact that you see him again later yeah he's the, and he has an it's intervention only because type. of him yeah that Sam gets that through Sam gets through security at the airport so it's sort yeah. of like and it is so he's just got this wry arch presence and playfulness to him and you know you do kind of associate Ryan Atkinson to a certain degree with characters like that because of things like Mr Bean and stuff like that he's kind of he has a not otherworldly presence but there is a slight mischievousness to him that yeah he's just presents he's, him with a wink and a nod yeah he's always somebody who is a, just a bit of a liability <laughs> yeah <laughs> He is, he is. And almost like chaotic, but also like he has his own sense of justice or something yeah. in this film. So that that's still there without yeah. being there. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, not it's there overly, but yeah. it is still there. And But um, it's, it's nice having that context just because it's like he's at least giving Harry a chance to think about what it is he's doing. What he's doing. Have a think to yourself. And like he does thwart him in that situation. In that moment, yeah. And it, but obviously that doesn't come off and, you know, he can only do so much. But it's just such a good performance. I love all of his facial expressions. Yeah, I mean that's he has a he's a phenomenal. He's a national treasure. He is a national treasure. He's a phenomenal actor. So big shout out to him. Uh, so that was actually that actually was love. Actually, that was love. Actually, actually, 